I'm just dealing. I'm just dealing with a desperate cold. I mean, it is. I'm sure. I mean, I'm, I sound whiny, but I mean, I'm, and I know that there are plenty of places in the world much colder than uh, where we are. But man, it has been colder this winter than I ever remember it being um, while I've lived here. You mean a cold like you're just cold, or you have a cold? No, as in it is freezing. <laughs> oh. Does your house get really cold? Um, usually doesn't. Um, but I feel like this year it's just been generally a heck of a lot colder than I remember it being in California. Well, especially this time of the year. I mean, we're for all the people in places that freeze, just ignore this conversation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're a bunch of pansies. I get it. It's been in the low fifties, and usually, I mean, it, I, I, as far as I remember, we were always in the sixties about this yeah. time of year. Yeah. And that 10, 10 degrees does make a difference, especially in like I go for a walk with the dog every day. I'm like, oh, I don't want to walk right now. <laughs> Absolutely. I guess we should move somewhere more hardcore and then come back and be grateful, right? Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Well, buckle in for a wild ride because I want to make sure that we hit a bunch of stuff on your list and I have a full list too. So, uh, well, uh, there's, there's, a, there's a weird irony there, um, but yeah, carry on. What's the weird irony? You can't say that and just not it's say that, anything. It's that this is the first week that I have completely abandoned doing a list. <laughs> <laughs> After you said bitch. last week, you're like, I'm going to hit all the stuff on my list next week. Well, but then I also kind of came to the conclusion that, you know, if we're not hitting the list, then that means that the conversation kind of goes its own natural way without us needing the list. So why the heck even bother? You know what I mean? Well, you know, like the list is kind of natural for me. What I try to do, what I'm actually, this this plays in really well. So actually, we'll get back to that. I'm going to talk about that more. But I think a good place for us to start so that we can talk about that is how has not having social media been on your phone? Or how has not having social media on your phone been? Let me get that sentence correct. So I've been doing your thing. Um, I, I actually have been using a notebook, actually. So I, I didn't want to do it on my phone or a computer. I've been writing um, my reactions to the feelings, and they, they've taken such weird, they've taken such weird forms. Like I had a few drawings in there. <laughs> I'll probably post a few, actually. Um, Are there any of the on, words that you want to share on on my social media? Um, Let's see. This is, <laughs> That's ironic, right? On your social yeah, media. Yeah, on my social media. Let me see. There's You can share them this, on the website or on your website. Yeah, that's true. I'll probably just end up taking snapshots and putting them up there like you've been doing with the uh, typewritten pages. That would be um, a really fascinating blog, actually, of the whole experience. <laughs> the anti-social media. Um, yeah. So on Friday, let's see. I have a couple of entries here. Um, at 10.45 a.m., um, I have panicked, don't know what to do. feel like <laughs> I need to check in on, what is this word? Business <laughs> accounts, business accounts, but I'm nowhere near my laptop, so I don't have that option. Um, I guess the world's just going to have to wait. Yeah, it's a uh, weird feeling, isn't it? 
God, that's that's the weirdest thing is to, to put a schedule on it. I don't realize how often I look at that stuff on my phone until I stop looking at it. <laughs> it's horrifying. We'll we'll get into my screen time stuff later. But just looking at the screen time for people who don't know, Apple has a thing built in now called screen time where you can see how many times you pick up your phone, how many times you've been using your phone throughout the day. Um, it's it's horrifying, especially when you look at things. You're like, I only looked at that for like five minutes today. No, hour and a half. Anyways, continue, please. Um, let's see. So there's a little bit more of that. Um, I uh, Let's see. If I actually wrote my feelings on the first time I looked at social media too um, on my computer. This is at 5.20 p.m. on that same Friday. And all I read is, phew. Um, <laughs> I, I got I my feel, fix. I feel attached to the world again um, is what I wrote. And then I wrote, that is pathetic (laughs) and i'm attached to absolutely nothing because there is no connection that has been made through me doing what i'm doing right um let's see 945 um made a phone call to see if that would replace the feeling of fomo which is uh fear of missing out right um and it actually that 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 leads into a whole different conversation. Um, yeah, I want to get I want to talk about that too. So let me let me add that to the list here. Yeah, um, because that's something that came up for me as well. So continue. Um, and yes, that conversation actually made me feel. I, I probably felt more connected in that one phone call than I felt um, in the entire week's worth of social media leading up until up till us recording that episode. Um, you know, I felt I had like an hour long conversation with someone for the first time that wasn't work related and it was really damn liberating. <laughs> well, it's, it's, um, it fits into this whole thing that we've been talking about, this idea of a fake conversation, right? We've, we've convinced ourselves that we're in a conversation by being on social media, but when you actually step outside of it, you realize yeah, you miss it because there's an addiction quality and there's all this stuff, but then you start doing other things and you go, oh, this this is a real conversation. Yeah, and it's funny because you realize how much how much you how, how many assumptions you make about people's lives by what you see on their social media. You know, the bullet points that have become um, what you see their daily lives as and how completely inaccurate that is or how totally incomplete it is. Yeah, I found um, I haven't done it yet, but I've been thinking about the idea. Um, I actually didn't write down a note to connect this, but um, I, at one point in reading, I think it's a digital minimalism, which I'll talk about later. I had um, there's an idea in the book where he's talking about this guy who does what's called office hours, where he'll say um, every day at five o'clock or every day at five thirty, I think it is, I'm available for phone calls, and this is for friends and family. So you don't need to schedule a call with me or whatever. If you want to talk to me, call me at 5.30 and we'll talk. And that's like his drive home. So, And that's how he started communicating with people. And I was listening to that and I'm like, maybe I need to invest in phone calls more, you know, because you can't always meet people. But, you know, there are people that I text message every once in a while, you know, like my friend John in Washington or whatever, where I'd probably rather have a phone conversation. And I just didn't realize that that's what I would rather have. Sure. And and you and and not only that, but you, once you start tangibly doing it, like if you actually start having those conversations, 
you'll you, you kind of get addicted to them. Not really addicted to them. You just you find yourself being much more interested in what people are actually doing. Um, you want to know the full story versus the snapshot, which makes you feel satisfied in the moment. It's like that placebo effect um, right. for social contact through social media. Yeah, it's like it's like you're hungry. You could either eat a meal or you can just you know throw a piece of candy in your mouth. Yep. You know, the, the candy is not going to fill you, but it will make you forget until you need another piece of candy. Yeah. And, and now you're 20 pieces of candy deep and it's two hours later and you're still not full. Yeah. And you're fat. <laughs> <laughs> and you feel like shit and your teeth are rotting. Sure. Um, so any other revelations other than phone calls through, through the process? Um, I extended it's. I then went on a completely different tangent. Um, Let's see, Saturday, nah, Saturday's not really that interesting, more of the panic, same panic feeling. It doesn't really get interesting until Monday. Yeah, it takes um, a few days to get it out of your system almost. Yeah, it's really weird. That is, that is actually an interesting phenomenon. It really did take me a couple of days before I really adjusted. And then I, I had this thought in my head at like, a, let's see, 11.05 on Monday. I'm like, let's invite someone to lunch. <laughs> Um, and then I invited, um, uh, my, my old friend out to lunch. I hadn't seen him in like four years and it was really nice. Um, and then I decided to go to a coffee shop. That is, so for anyone who doesn't know, I used to be part owner of Barefoot Coffee here in, uh, the Bay Area way back in the day. Like, I mean, I'm talking, you know, early 2000s kind of thing. And I decided to actually go there <laughs> hmm. and, and go talk to people and, and see what the place was all about now and to see the pieces of furniture that I helped build out of old redwood pieces um, from a bridge in Redwood City. And it, it both brought me back to the present in a very weird way, as well as reminded me of my path to get to that present. It was really, really cool. And I don't think either of those things would have happened if I hadn't let go of the social media and if I hadn't made that choice to like go and have lunch. So would it be a fair assumption, not that we're done with this topic, but would it be a fair assumption to say that in at least in the first week that stepping away from social media forced you to actually connect with people? Yeah, it, it totally did. Um, and it not only the, the, the weird effect that I didn't expect was that it forced me to reconnect with parts of myself that I got lost in social media. Yeah, there's a weird phenomenon that I don't think we've ever talked about this aspect of it. But there's a certain maybe it's because of the um, the lack of depth that social media provides that we continue to like gloss over certain parts of ourselves um, because we're focusing on other parts because there no matter what there's always a performative aspect to social media right sure. um, even when we think we're being an honest and pure um, with what we're posting we've already trained ourselves to understand that uh, I have to present it in this way to get the likes that I need. Um, like, for example, there was, um, was... I can't even remember what it was from, but there was some girl saying, I like to do things real. You know, when I cry, I put up a picture of myself crying. And the person that was she was talking to, I think it was someone giving a speech, was like, you realize that you're performing though, right? Because you're sharing it and you're going, I'm choosing to show you this. And I just I thought that that idea of that performance that is maybe that's what makes us gloss over those parts of ourselves i don't know how do you feel about that well yeah sure absolutely there's that you know like there's there's it, it's 
the observe it's the observing thing right like once you observe a creature in its natural environment and you know it's it, and the creature mm-hmm. knows it's being observed then its behavior changes you know and even if it's it, it, even if its behavior doesn't overtly change or obviously change it's 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 thought process surrounding that behavior changes you know um and i think we as social creatures can't can't not do that um it's 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 built into our nature to be part of the tribe in that sense so anytime the the other members of the tribe are observing us then our behavior entirely changes yeah i think there's um you know we've talked about before how um i think when we were talking about the things i noticed about linguistics when editing episodes that people aren't as in control of their speech as they realize they are so anytime I feel like anytime we're crafting something to put up, we are we're functioning that performing mode, whether we realize it or not. Because um, you know, like I said, the part where it's like I'm choosing to show this, but I'm not choosing to show this is it's like the whole photography thing, right? You know, what you don't include in the photo is just as important as what you do include in the photo. So I'm not sure that putting anything online can ever be as genuine as a conversation because a conversation can fall apart on us at any point and go in any direction as is evident to anybody that's listened to more than one episode of this. (laughs) (laughs) Or anyone who's listening to it right now. (laughs) Um, Do you have any more notes that you want to share? Um, I think, I think that's, that, that's a good jumping off point for, I mean, I could talk about the presence thing in particular. The number of places that I went um, and the, the number of people Actually, the, the, I think the better way to, to, for me to understand it is the number of phone calls and face-to-face conversations that I've had in place of social media is staggering. <laughs> and, it's, and, it's, and it's really weirdly liberating. Like it's, it, it makes me feel so much more connected to the people I care about and the people I love. It's very odd. You know, this, I haven't had this experience in a while, but I do remember this vividly, especially... Um, this would be around the time of uh, what we referred to, our group referred to as the Wrecking Crew days. Uh-huh. Um, I remember when you would get together with people, and this was a, a multi-year process thing that I'm talking about. What you would talk about, 80% of it would revolve around social media. You know, sure. what, what what this person had posted and what this... and. It, it's kind of strange when you think about that. I Like I said, I've been a far away from that because I don't go out to big social events anymore. Um, but that that's kind of strange. It's like, yeah, they already saw that. So now we're going to talk about it again. Um, but I don't think that those conversations from what I remember ever went any deeper, but they had to, right? I don't know. Um, I feel like I feel like it depended on the size of the group. Um, basically, the larger the group was, the more we used social media as a way to have uh, references to things that we all witnessed or experienced. Um, but, but I remember, you know, when, when before Wrecking Crew became what it was, um, there was that period of time where it was the smaller crew, and we would just hang out on Carlos's porch. And you'd have long conversations about music or history or science or, right. or whatever the heck it was, and that was a very different experience. But that was that was the the level of conversation, or at the, at the very least, the level of depth in the conversation was greatly affected by the number of people that were present. Yeah, that's true. You know, I do remember. <laughs> this is awful, but I'm sure anybody listening has done this probably at least ten times, where. Somebody says, you know, like, for example, say I put up a picture of my dog and somebody goes, yeah, I see you got a new dog. 
And you go, yeah, I took him to the park. I was like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, there's a picture up. Check it out. And then end of conversation. Instead of let's talk about this, I direct you to my social media to do the thing that I don't want to do right now, which is converse. Yeah, it's like, here, take a look at my 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 assistant. Um, let my assistant show you the experience without me having to share any of it with you. <laughs> yeah, awful, awful. Uh, it is awful. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I still think that that in the long run, there is a place for social media. I just don't think we have any idea how to use it properly. I don't think that the form that it exists in right now can can subsist much longer. You don't it's, think so? No, especially after reading more books. I'll get into it later. But I do think that there's there's the the way it functions right now, it's it's actually detrimental to society and to our biology and that eventually it's going to come to a breaking point. But um before we go into the odd stuff, what I want to know is are you gonna continue to keep the apps off your phone? I think so. I think for the foreseeable future, yes. Um just because my my social interactions have felt so much more genuine um and so much more connective um i feel like i feel like 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 social media gives you a snapshot and 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 there's no before and there's no after so there's no momentum um within that social interaction that carries a conversation you know it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't lend itself to enhancing or furthering an experience and i think because of my 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 you know, lunches and conversations and phone calls with people having much more of a, a momentum, having much more of an inertia. Um, I will probably continue to keep them off my phone for the foreseeable future. Like I, I don't think I'll ever reinstall certain ones at all. Like I think Facebook is gone permanently. Um, I, there's part of me that just wants to delete my Facebook account. <laughs> right. You know, like I don't even want that anymore. Like it, I, I felt like, that one by far is the most damaging for me. Um, because, well, they've definitely been the most intrusive. Yeah, exactly. And, and not only that, but it's also the one that 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 lulls you into this fake sense of connectivity uh, versus Instagram, where at least for me, I feel like I'm just looking at pictures. Like I didn't, I didn't use Instagram the way a lot of other people did. Um, like I primarily use it as as a tool for business um, for all the different businesses that I help uh, with social media. Um, and specifically, I would use it to look at art and photography. So I guess in a certain kind of way, I looked for very specific things. Like I, I didn't use it as a, a surrogate tabloid, per se. Um, and I think my use of it, at least for me, felt better. You know what I've, I've, I've discovered? Um, two things in, in not reading social media anymore. This is not just a phone thing, but that's my stage right now is I'm not reading it at all. Is number one... It, as many times as you tell people you don't read social media and as many times as people listen to episodes and hear me say it, it doesn't actually sink in. You know, like it's everybody I think assumes that I'm lying, <laughs> not not to be mean or anything, but just like it doesn't it doesn't make sense. Right. It doesn't make sense to people because it's so normative. Right. Yeah, sure. So I will still get comments and questions, you know, like when I go in um, to post something and then I always check I, because right now, until the automation, I'm completely um, have faith in the automation. I'll still sign in, you know, a couple hours later and make sure the post went out, just to make sure. So that once after like a month of that, that I know that I'm like, okay, and then we're going to sign in again. Um, but I'll sign in. There'll still be people asking me questions, and I'm like, I don't, I don't read this. I'm not, <laughs> you know, that's like from like seven days ago. Sorry, and guess what? I'm not going to reply. Sure. Um, 
And these are people that I would more than happily go to lunch with and hang out with in person. Um, because it, it's, it's so unimportant to me right now because I hate social media now. After been away from it long <laughs> enough, I can't stand it anymore. Um, it's it's really strange. But then you know what you were saying about the um, art and and you know being exposed to these things. I've found myself missing a little bit of that. But the two things I found about that are number one, I need far less of that than I thought I did. That I was actually overloading myself on input, um, and that I actually enjoy looking for it in other places and then just like sitting and looking at it and not like experiencing it in that little square window of of Instagram or whatever, but like, you know, like looking up an artist and going, yeah, what's up with this guy? And then following a trail through the internet and then going, Oh, here's an artist I've never seen before. And like going through their portfolio. It's, it's a different experience. It's like going back in time, but it feels I feel that what I'm moving towards is actually just buying art books again and saying, fuck looking up stuff on the internet. Uh, it's funny you say that. Um, I went to recycled books in Campbell and looked at art books for an hour and a half. Nothing, I mean, other than being in person with art itself, nothing else compares to having yeah, an art Yeah, I mean, book. I will tell you now, like, I mean, I, I went through and I started looking at, at some of my my old photography and design heroes. I mean, two in particular, um, I was looking at old Dave McKeon stuff um, from Sandman, and I was looking at um, some some photography from Helmut Lang, um, and yeah, there's there's definitely something different about that experience when it's tangible. And it's just, it's there's, it's hard to explain what's different. Really, it's immersive in a way that you, I don't know why a screen isn't that immersive. It just isn't. Maybe because all I have to do is flip my finger, you know, like half an inch, and it's gone. Yeah, it becomes too disposable. At least the, that's the way it felt for me. You know, like I, I felt like I felt like it had no 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 permanence, and I think that that's my difficulty with it, especially with the artists that I'm talking about, because their work does feel so 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 permanent to me. You know, so entrenched in my my aesthetic sensibilities. And I mean, most of the controls in social media apps are built um, to actually induce addiction. You know, like the pull down to refresh, they, they stole that from slot machines, the idea of slot machine. Um, so there's all these, these things that are, that increase that disposableness, right? Because that's how it's meant to be. They want it to be disposable. They want what you see on social media to be disposable. Nobody realizes that. Why? Because if it's disposable, you have to come back for more. Sure. They don't want you to engage with it. They want you to react. They want you to keep coming back in and dipping back in. And that's that's the thing that a lot of us don't think about. It's very strange. Yeah, and it, it's insidious in its nature too. Like, I mean, if you if you start to realize the the the, the principles behind the UX of most of these um, user experiences, like you you really do understand, you start to see how they've inherently built in a sense of, of refresh to everything. Yeah. And a lot of them, especially with these algorithms, right? Um, they, once you see something, it disappears. It's gone. Yep. So it's, it's even disposable in, 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 I didn't do anything except for come back into the app and now it's gone. Or how many times have you opened Instagram, seen something 
and go, oh, that looks interesting, but the feed's refreshing and then pff, it's gone. And then it's gone. Oh, I was literally just about to say that completely. Yeah. Happens all the time. And it's, it's, it goes back to some of the stuff that Lanier was saying in his book. He said that some of the addictive qualities of social media are actually the negative things that it produces in us, the negative feelings, the feelings of disappointment, um, FOMO, like you said, the fear of missing out. You know, the strange idea that the more you see, the more you feel like you're missing something. Sure. So um, I showed you my screen time thing. That, that one was really impressive, but it's actually not an anomaly. Um, so for people who didn't see what I sent, Lamb, I got my screen time down, this is just on my phone, to 26 minutes in one day. <clears throat> the shocking thing is that's four hours and 56 minutes below average. Which means I was using my phone for like six hours a day minimum. I I still have no idea how you did that. I mean, even without social media, my screen time is around like two hours and ten minutes. Um, well, there's there's a lot of things that are involved with that. So, um, first of all, uh, this is not related. I haven't figured out how to how to deal with this yet. But for some reason, I haven't worn my Apple Watch all week. I just didn't put it on on the weekend, and I never put it back on. Not sure how I feel about that yet. Um, if that will help me with what I'm doing right now by wearing it or by not wearing it. Um, but the first thing that I did is I removed, obviously remove all social media. That was weeks ago. Um, but I removed all redundancies from my phone. So what I mean by that is um, anything that I could do on my iPad that didn't need to be on my phone, I removed it. So um, checking email. I don't need to check email on my phone. I have it, you know, for the emergency situation where, you know, a client emails me and I'm at a coffee shop, but it's buried in the back of a folder and it has no badges. All the badges and notifications are turned off and I don't allow myself to look at it except in emergency situations. I check my email on my iPad or my desktop. Um, but then I'm trying to think of all the things that I removed that were redundant. I had... Um, um, feeder, which is a, you know, for blogs so that, you know, I can see when you post a blog or um, any of my previous guests have posted a blog. I don't need that on my phone. Took it off my phone. I have Goodreads. I don't need that on my phone. Put it on my iPad. Um, I have Letterboxd for, you know, tracking the movies I've watched. I put that on the iPad. It's not on the phone. I just kept pulling things like that out. You know, like Lyft, I have to have that on my phone. Lyft is not sure. very useful on an iPad. <laughs> I need a ride. Well, too bad I don't have my iPad. Um, <laughs> but almost all the redundancies, the only thing that are, that are redundant that I kept on my phone are the music app, which I don't, I don't even know if you can remove that. Um, my podcast app, Overcast, and my Kindle app. Why? Because 50% of the time I use them, I am on the go with my phone. But by removing all of that, I no longer needed to go to my phone for those things. Mm. And so I'm still, I'm still dealing with a device dependence here because I do go to my, my iPad a lot. But the difference is I have to be in a location to use my iPad. I don't take my iPad with me when I go places. So I have to be home. Um, so I have, to, I have to schedule things, you know, like email. Okay, I do email first thing in the morning, grab the iPad. And then... At the end of the night, at the end of the evening, you know, I check again. Now, with, by not having it on my phone, I can prevent myself from dipping into it multiple times during the day. Sure. But the biggest one that I did, and this one, uh, everyone's going to probably think I'm crazy for this one. 
the biggest one I did is I took Safari and I hid it in the back of a folder on my phone. <laughs> wow. And I tell you what, Lamb, do it. Do that right now. Interesting. That, that is the, I would say that that is probably on par with effectiveness in your life um, with getting rid of social media from your phone. You don't realize how many times you dip into Safari to look for the answers of things, to just look at things, to get lost in things. Um, and what I do now, I've always had this pocket notebook, but I've been struggling with this pocket notebook because, you know, I have a notebook where I'm, you know, my commonplace book where I'm writing down what I'm thinking and stuff like that. And I, I was never sure, you know, like I have this pocket notebook, but most of the time I have the other notebook with me. So what's the point of this pocket notebook? And now I know what the point of this pocket notebook is. This is the catcher. So when I'm looking at something or I'm thinking of something and because I'm not allowed to go to Safari on my phone anymore, like, oh, I need to look up, I write it in this notebook. And then later when I sit down to my iPad, I can look those things all up at once. Like, oh, I wanted to look up this. I wanted to look up this. I wanted to add this book to my Goodreads. And you know, by batching it, it reduces the time that I'm in those things because now it's like a task list instead of like this, you know, subconscious journey that I'm going on to because of addiction. Huge, huge changes. So I guess a lot of what you're talking about is the removal of, of the immediate gratification. Yeah. You got to make those, those things, the things that you should be in control of everything you're doing. And when you're not, that's when you have the problems. It's not that these tools are bad. It's that we've got to a place with these tools and these apps and these things where they're controlling us and we're not controlling them. And you have to rend that back because that's what I got back. I got back five hours of my day. Lamb, think about that. That's astounding. Now, granted, some of that time is spent on the iPad, but I can deal with that addiction later that I don't have to go to a device for this anymore. But right now dealing with the phone first, right? I dealt with social media first. Now I'm dealing with the phone addiction. Next I'll deal with iPad addiction. Doing with them one time, you know, instead of stacking it all up and then just doing myself the failure. Sure, sure. But we'll say that uh, I guarantee you that I did not spend five hours on my iPad. Um, it's across the room, so I can't look at the screen time on it. Actually, no, it's, it's right here. Um, I'll look it up. But I guarantee you that I didn't spend five hours on it. So even if um, I spent three hours on the iPad, I've still wrestled back two hours of my day. That's a lot of time, especially like for somebody like you who's always running around. Two hours is a lot of time. Yeah, it, it's funny because in, in the moments in between um, with all the stuff that I'm doing, I find myself automatically turning to my phone as kind of the surrogate babysitter for my brain um, and, I, and, and doing the, the social media thing. Like I, I just literally didn't have anything to do on my phone. <laughs> right. You know, I, I mean, I have a few games, but I've, I've made it a point a long time ago to stop playing those as much as I could. So what replaced the games was social media. And not having the social media on my phone basically made it so I had no reason to be on my phone. So I would just look around. <laughs> right. Your, your <laughs> like phone becomes a, walk, a tool like, again. Like, like, go, go to a, like go to a coffee shop and don't just go to the coffee shop. Walk around the area. You know, see that there's a bakery over here and there's these people hanging out over here. There's, kids, there's these kids skateboarding across the street and that looks really fun. Like, holy crap, the number of things you notice that exist in the world outside of your screen is shocking. <laughs> hey, your phone becomes like a microwave again. You know, like I don't have a frozen burrito to heat right now. So I'm completely uninterested in the microwave. Yeah, exactly. I just, I literally just had nothing to do with it. 
it's a nice feeling. Unfortunately, there have been a few times where I've done what you said before, where I'm like, where did I put that thing? <laughs> oh yeah, sure, sure. Uh, but you know what I've noticed? This is this is probably one of my favorite things. Um, is I've noticed that in this process that I I'm reading differently. That um, I talked about this a little bit in in the Creative Minds episode I have with Eric this week. Um, but I realized that we have, it took me to realize that this was happening with the reading to realize how it wasn't happening before. What was happening before and is probably happening to most of us is we're jumping from thing to thing because that's what's being put in front of us, right? You know, like uh, here's a video on notebooks and here's an article about Donald Trump and here is a PDF on uh, you know, how to properly parallel park a car. We're not making any of these choices for these things to be put in front of us. People are curating this stuff for us, right? Sure. But the thing about that is, regardless, if every single one of those things was something you wanted to see, you're literally jumping from thing to thing, right? Yeah. So you're, you're skipping on the shallow, on the surface. You're dipping into this, you're dipping into this, you're dipping into this, but you're not going deep so you're really nowhere right you're just you're just kind of you're a victim of of input whereas what i've realized is i so i read that so you've been publicly shamed book actually i think it actually started with the coddling of the american mind i read that and then i was like oh there's some interesting things going on in here and that led me to so you've been publicly shamed and then i read so you've been publicly shamed and that led me to go, oh, so this thing that I saw in the coddling of the American mind seems to be manifesting itself in social media. So then I read the Lanier book. And then after the Lanier book, I finished Digital Minimalism, which was going even deeper to different aspects of this, you know, this digital, it, this, it goes beyond social media, it goes into devices and things like that. And now I'm reading a book about like the history of what's called, uh, uh, I can't remember what they're called attention marketers or something like that. Basically, it's, it's about advertising, but not necessarily advertising. You know, everything that's ever fought for your attention from radio to TV to social media. Um, so I'm going on these deep dives on topics and I'm, this is what we used to do. <laughs> we would learn, but we would learn by keep going. Well, uh, um, you know, like <clears throat> I think I mentioned before Malcolm McLaurin in his, um, no, Malcolm Gladwell, wrong Malcolm. Malcolm Gladwell in his master class talks about when you go to the library, because of the way the librarians had set up the Dewey Decimal System, if you read a book, you should look at the book to the left and immediately to the right, because those two books are going to be the most related to that book. And the further you go from the shelf on there, because books in a library are associated by topic, the further you move out from that book, the more broad of a perspective you're going to get. Oh, and interesting. And that's kind of what I've I've found. And I'm my 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 actual notebook, not my pocket notebook. I, I'm I'm filling pages and pages with thoughts. And not, I, I don't I don't write quotes in here. I just highlight them in my Kindle. But I have paragraphs and paragraphs of thoughts about things that I'm reading. And before it would be like one or two, you know, maybe a sentence here or there. But I mean, just chunks and chunks of text. Like my brain is like, oh, now that we're not occupied with that other stuff, 
let's start churning the engine again. Do you think that there's... Hmm, I'm trying to understand how how that could function in a digital world, like how the, the aspects of, of, of research as we understand them and, and, and how we would do deep, deep dives into things functions in a digital world in an effective way that doesn't lead us back to our screens. I don't believe it can. Really? Because of the, at least not currently, because of the what, what Danny was talking about with the bummer system, the way everything is incentivized, it's incentivized against this type of thinking. It's incentivized against this type of, of work. Um, you can do this, but it's it would be so tedious. Um, think about, you know, like um, if I'm looking at, um, I don't know, I want to read more about uh, Cal Newport. Well, when I go into Google or I go into even DuckDuckGo or I go into Bing, the first page is going to be everything that everybody else has seen. Because sure. most people don't make it past the first six. I think there's like some percentage that like 43% of people don't go past the first six. And then it's like something like 80% don't go past the first page. Um, so, but at the same time, we know like, oh, because more people have looked at these, these are more reliable, less, you know, like as as you get deeper in, you find more pages that have nothing to do with what you're looking at or sure. looking for. But when you get deeper in those pages, that's where you're going to find the stuff that other people haven't seen, where you're going to learn more instead of just um, catching up to everybody else, right? But because as you also go deeper, you get less and less related stuff and you get more and more junk sites, you have to do more and more work to flip in and flip out and check out every single link. So you would give up and you just go back to the first page. Hmm. Whereas with a book, <laughs> the chances that somebody, you know, how often have you picked up three books on a topic and all three of them sucked? At least one of them's got to be solid because sure, they put sure. all the work in to write the book, right? It's a lot more work than writing a blog. Yeah, I guess that's true. I'm just trying to think, I'm, I'm trying to conceive of a world in which the two can be married in such a way that they can effectively work together. It would have to be a reworking of, of the search algorithm. The search algorithm would have to be able to understand what you're looking for. You know, it would have to understand, and this is possible, this is all totally possible, but because of the, because it's incentivized to make money, it wants to put the popular stuff first, plain and simple. Sure. So as long as it's about making money from clicks, that's what it's always going to be. But sure. if it can move away from that, then it can go, okay, these are trusted sources. And these, these things over here, these are junk. So the junk just disappears into those back pages. And you have all the good stuff up front. But then it understands, you know, you're looking for something fresh. So maybe it shuffles things for you. Instead of presenting them in the order of the, that everybody has seen them, it shuffles it. So it's, the re, so it's the reprioritization of, of our search engines in such a way that the, the incentive isn't necessarily monetary. There has to be a feeling of happenstance and a feeling of investment. Sure. With, with, with Google, you don't get those. You don't get much happenstance. You get a little bit, but not much. I mean, and that's only by flipping to those last pages. Um, but you don't get investment. 
investment is like, I got this book and I got to read this book to find out if it's what I want. Um, because even in the crappiest book about some subject, you're going to find at least one or two things you can take out of that. And that can happen with online stuff. But for the most part, that's the only thing that happens with online stuff. Sure. Now, of course, anybody listening, I'm not including stuff that's been, you know, like a pieces for the New Yorker or, or stuff that's written for The Economist, you know, by legitimate journalists who have put months and months into a piece. Very different because their investment's there. I'm talking about people like me that write articles on the internet. It's never going to compare to you picking up a book on a subject. It's just never going to. But by that same token, though, there are definitely things that are valuable from writers like you. You know, there, there are definitely insights from you or conclusions that you've drawn that I have found within your writing that I wouldn't have found in a book the same way. Unless I wrote a book. Well, unless you wrote a book, yeah. <laughs> Which, by the way, how's that going? <laughs> uh, that's another subject. <laughs> that's, that's far left field right now. But um, it's just, it's fascinating the way that this, you know, like maybe I should share with you some of this digital minimalism stuff. Um, because I I was reading it. And so basically what I do with these notes, when I say come in these episodes with notes, is and I've been trying to really actually tamp down on this instead of sharing, you know, every once in a while I'd send you something in a text message or something, mm-hmm. literally not doing that with anything that, you know, like the screen time thing, like I'm not really going to save that for the episode, but literally saving them until we sit down and they're going, Oh, here's this thing I wanted to tell you about. Oh, here's this thing I wanted to tell you about. That's how I make my list. Uh, I see. Um, so Digital minimalism. I want you to read this book. I did send you a text telling you if anybody in the world needs to read it, it's you. Yeah, yeah. Because there's so many times in here, I'm like, that's the exact problem Lamb was talking about. That's the exact thing Lamb was talking about. Or this is the exact thing Lamb needs right now. He needs to read this sentence right now. Jeez. Um, Who wrote it? uh, Cal Newport. Ah, got it. The guy who wrote Deep Work. Um, There's a great quote from Bill Maher in here, um, which is a nice balance since I talked shit about him last week. <laughs> uh, he said that in, in an episode, I guess he, I didn't see this. I don't watch him. I don't like to watch people argue. But um, he said, the tycoons of social media have to stop pretending that they're friendly nerd gods building a better world and admit they're just tobacco farmers in t-shirts selling an addictive product to children. Because let's let's face it, Checking your likes is the new smoking. Interesting. I like it. Oh, that's great. That's really good. Especially the comparison to the tobacco, you know, because how many decades did they hide the research on the detriments of tobacco? Sure. You know that Reader's Digest was the one who exposed that for the first time? No, I did not know that. Yeah, I think it was uh, 19, you see that in 1952 or 1955. It was an article... In Reader's Digest, which is not considered now, at least, not considered a serious, um, what would you call it, <laughs> serious publication. But I guess back then they were. Man, I, I, we had boxes and boxes of them. Yeah, my, 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 my grandfather my dad, read them all. Yeah, my, my dad read them religiously. I, I remember I, just tons of them. 1952. I'm sorry, not 1955. They exposed it in 1955, and the article was called 
is cancer by the carton. Yep, cancer by the carton. So that means that um, for at least 40 years, because in the 90s, it really started becoming public knowledge. For at least 40 years, they hid that. Hopefully, social media companies will not hide the research for 40 years on the detrimental stuff that it's doing to us. I think the stark irony with that is that I think um, in this day and age, it's not nearly as possible as that anymore because information can be spread so much quicker. Right. Well, yeah, because we we already found stuff from Facebook how many times? About yeah, exactly. And, and, you exactly. know, like, um, what's his name? Sean Parker? No, was that mm-hmm. his name? Uh, um, he was one of the owners. Um, Sean Parker? Yeah, I think he was the the loaded dude. I think it was Sean Park. He's the one that Justin Timberlake plays in the movie. Yeah. The social network movie. Um, He admitted at one point that they knew how to make us sad. That they knew how to put things in front of you that would make you sad. So they're manipulating your emotions. Of course. Uh, Spend more time tending to social media. Oh, this is a good one. Okay. Especially for you, right? Because you tend multiple accounts. People spend more time tending to their social media accounts than what they actually make up in the gains from using the social media accounts. Mm. So, for example, I, I made a little example of this. Um, say say you're, I don't know, in real estate or something. And you go, I um, no, this is not the right price for real estate. But <laughs> I, whatever, I got a $3,000 deal, $3, deal from someone that I met on Twitter. Boom, I made $3,000. Social media pays off, right? Sure. Okay. Now let's say that person spends two hours every day dipping in and out of Twitter, which is a very small amount. And that on average, they make $50 an hour. So they would have to land a $3,000 deal every 30 days to break even for the time that they invested on Twitter. Mm. And that's not accounting for time that they would spend on Facebook or Instagram, or anything else. That's just Twitter. That's a great point, isn't it? Yeah, that is pretty cool. Something we don't think about, like if we were getting paid for the time that we spend on social media, are we getting, you know, are we getting paid well, or are we getting paid, you know, like... Minimum wage remarks. We're getting paid pennies, right? I've never made anything (laughs) off of social media. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I've, I've I've never thought about it from that perspective before, but that's an interesting metric to track. Like how much how much time investment is required in order for you to gain a specific monetary value beyond that? Like what what is the actual gain, and what does that actually look like? Right, like if you took that over to YouTube, there's a great example, right? In one day, I would spend when I was vlogging, I would spend we'll say if you added all the add all the time up, it was maybe two hours of filming. And then four hours when I was decent, four hours to edit, and then an extra hour to post and share everything out. So what is that? That's a six and two and it's nine hours. And then I would make maybe 43 cents. I, I still cannot believe you did that for as long as you did. I know. And... Beautiful point, right? If I had, I burned myself out on it, but if I hadn't, I probably would have kept continued to do it because sure. I was addicted to it. Do you think there, at some point, there's a, 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 a breaking point at which you actually end up, it ends up gaining you more? 
I mean, it, 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 I, not for I the average that, person, no. Yeah, not for the average person. But I'm thinking about like guys like Casey Neistat and stuff, right? Like or Joe Casey Rogan. Casey Neistat, it works out. He's making What's that? Casey Neistat, it works out because he's he's making a fortune. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, for for every one Casey Neistat, there's a thousand chat halls, you know, that aren't making money off of it. And for every Casey Neistat, those thousand chat halls don't get to make it because there's a Casey Neistat. Oh, because point. people are watching that, <laughs> it's the, you know, not not that it's his fault or anything like like that, but like you're compared to that. So until you're as good as that, you can't make that right. And even if you get to that point where you're that good, you probably won't make what he's making because he's already there. Sure. He already exists, and people don't want to see a clone of that. <laughs> so it's 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 like this game that we're we're t- we've we've been convinced to take part in this game. Um, the fame game. That's really what we're all playing, the fame game. So it's just the modern version of the fame game, essentially. Like you you may want to, because Lady Gaga exists, you cannot be Lady Gaga. Right. Um, so, and this is, this is the part where I went deep. So not all this is from the book, but um, he talks about, at one point, he talks about this idea of solitude deprivation that it's a state in which you spend close to zero time alone with your own thoughts and and away from input from other people's minds. This reminded me of you a lot. You know, you're always talking about how you feel like you don't have enough time for yourself. That's solitude deprivation. Hmm. That's a real thing. Interesting. But then he goes into... Um, so there was this researcher... By the name, I think his name was Matthew Lieberman, um, who was doing some fMRI testing on um, people doing, they don't say what the tasks are, but they were just doing some sort of task or chore or something like that. And he found that when they would stop doing the task, that everybody would go into a certain part of their brain. And this is referred to as the default network or the default mode. And what he see when he would ask people about you know so what are you thinking about when you're in this default network um, when you're in this not mode and almost everybody's thinking about um, people or they're thinking about um, themselves in the context of people so um, he goes so he started to think he's like maybe this is connected in some way to social cognition you know like this default network is 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 a social you know our actual social network in our brain, right? Sure. So, um, and that's kind of all they say in the book. So I'm like, um, this seems kind of huge to me. I had all these thoughts and all these questions. So I just started searching around the internet and I found, you know, some pages. I found like this um, research paper written by these people. Um, I don't think I wrote their names down. But it's, it's called The Default Network and Social Cognition is the name of the paper. Um, and they studied scans of people... Um, when they're in the default network. And what they found was, um, there's a quote from them, they said the default network may be critical for adaptive cognition. Um, Because what they saw was that the key parts of the brain responsible for navigating, um, for the, the parts of the brain that are the default network that are lit up, there's three different parts of the brain that light up when you're in the default network. Those parts of the brain are responsible for navigating and forming social models. It's how we integrate information into context. It's literally how we function within the world. And social navigation is essential 
this is a quote from them, for maintaining durable social bonds necessary for physical and mental health. Jeez. So then I started really digging into that and I started thinking, okay, so how does our brain register using social media? Do we register in the default mode? And I couldn't find anything specifically on social media. But I did find that when we use our brain, I mean, our phones, our brain is in task mode. Sure. So what that seems to insinuate to me is that when we are using social media, we're not using the social parts of our brain. Sure. So that's one thing. So it's actually not social. <laughs> and the second thing is, if, we are con- if every moment, that's dead, dead moment in, in our life, right? When we're not doing something, we used to go into this default network. If instead we're dipping into social media, that means that we're not ever entering the default network, which means that we are not building social models. We're losing the ability to understand context. These things sound familiar. Have we talked about these before, Lamb? How about this? (laughs) We're unable to maintain social bonds. Hmm. Wonder why everybody's at each other's throats. Physical and mental health would be affected. Anybody want to talk about the rise in anxiety? I mean, yeah, it's, maybe, it's... You know, Chad, maybe, maybe we should write this book. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, so I'm, I'm gonna, actually, I'm going to email this guy because I have a couple questions for him. Um, because, there, you know, there's a, I'm not researched in this stuff, but there are a few holes in my theory that I need to make sure are true. Um, but it seems like it's insinuating that we can't, generate proper context and that it will affect our mental health. In fact, there's a part in the book where he says that the medical staff on college campuses are reporting that overnight cases of anxiety have skyrocketed, which was previously completely rare. And that Mm. cases of depression and suicide have also skyrocketed. Well, I I think, I think the, 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 the most the, the the thing that I grappled onto what you said the most um, out of all the I, I, out of all the things you said the thing I grabbed I gravitated towards the most. Um, let me try that sentence again. Of all the things, <laughs> of all the damn things you said, the thing that stuck out to me the most was how social media, by its very nature, is a task and not a social interaction. Right. Um, and 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 having social media as a process not exist within that default mode is really telling as to how potentially damaging it is for our understanding of social interaction because now we associate a true social interaction with social anxiety. Right. And and that's all happening subconsciously. So we're not even aware of the fact that we're creating that 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 expectation or or that 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 that, that horrible precursor that actual social interaction now comes along with it, the caveat of having to crippling anxiety to, 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 to latch onto that as well. And you have to ask yourself too. So if our brain is interpreting using our phones as a task, and we can make that assertion that social media would fit into that, that's one of the holes I would have to have somebody fill in for me to make sure that that's true. That there's something to back up that. Oh, I'm sure it is. I mean, think about social media. Let's think about Instagram for a second, right? Anytime anyone takes a picture that they intend to post on Instagram, unless you just happen to be 
the rare exception to the rule, most people take a number of pictures, they look through the pictures, they then edit the pictures, they modify the colors, they post, right. they write a caption. Those are all fucking tasks. There's nothing social about that entire Yeah, you're process. not thinking, I'm having so much fun with my friends right Yay, now. Yay, let me share this experience <laughs> with my friends. No, that's not what it is. It's like, I wonder what filter is going to make my hair look best. You know what I mean? And that's what I was going to say. Like, what is the task then? And I think the task is what we, what we said earlier. It's the get likes task. Yep, absolutely. So that is that is the ultimate goal, like the valid. And and why is the get likes thing there? Because the validation comes from that. Like, I mean, if you're taking it back to the tobacco days, for example, like, I mean, why did what was one of the first things the tobacco industry did um, in order to make um, you know proliferate pro- proliferate their product, right? To make it cool. Well, yeah, and then there's also the other end too, to, to tell you the opposite of what was true. Um, like, for example, I think it was Lucky Strike. Their slogan was, um, it was better for you than other cigarette brands. It was good for your throat. It, that smoking Lucky Strikes got rid of the frog throat that other cigarettes gave you. How's that? And I guess then for social media, it's our social media network will connect you with more people in a better way. Nope, yeah. none of that is true. <laughs> We're changing the world. Yes, you are. You're burning it down from the fucking ground. Well, you're just making people not connect with each other ever. Um, well, look at, I mean, it, all the, the genuine, all of the genuine, Lanny talks about, talks about this a lot in his book. This is not my own thought. Um, but all of the genuine social movements that have come out of social media crashed and burned because of social media. So you, you look at um, the Arab Spring, which was probably the biggest example how all those people that participated in the revolution of the Arab Spring Revolution, how are their lives now? Have they improved? No, nope. sure. yeah. they have not. So mm-hmm. it, it was a show. I mean, not that they were putting on a show, but I'm saying it was a show. We had this flash and everybody in the world wanted to feel really good about the show. It was a reality for the people that were partaking in it. Don't get me wrong there. But for the rest of us, it was a show, right? Sure. Awesome. Look what social media can do. Mm, guess what? Still sucks for them. How about Black Lives Matters? They had this this natural organic movement that the whole point, you know, the, the hashtag of, of of Black Lives Matter wasn't supposed to be an antagonistic thing. It was literally just to say, our children matter. The lives of our children matter. Sure. But then because of social media, the other side was able to take it and blow it up. Yeah, and, and battle then, lines were drawn and horror ensued. And how many black lives will be lost because of things that happen from that outrage? Sure. So does it work out well for them in the end? No, it probably doesn't. And you have to worry about what's going to happen in the Me Too movement as well. Yeah, no kidding. And I mean, it's, you're already seeing it to some degree, right? Yeah, sure. Fake, fake accusations and things like uh, that, which just yeah, destroy it for other women. Absolutely. So any power that it, it garners is instantly lost or, or, or subverted by the, the effect of, of, of things like um, false accusations and just the outrage from the other side. And, and to be clear, the reason for anybody that's not putting this together, the reason that false accusations are so bad is because of social media. So sure. people who don't want to believe that things like this happen. You know, that, that women are put in positions where people who have power over them force them to have sex with them. The people that don't want to believe that, all they need to do is see one story 
about someone who was lying. And now they can say they're all fucking lying. And it can be all over and it's going to get retweeted a thousand times. That's where the danger is. Mm. Whereas, and it goes back to the importance of news. Legitimate news organizations. Because they do work and they do research. At least they used to. I don't Sometimes I question a lot of them now, but they do work and they do research. And when it comes out, it's something that's put together. It's not this reactionary thing. So we know the facts, you know, at least more than we do in this 140 character blurb. It's like a fart. <laughs> it's an informational <laughs> fart. We're all huffing each other's asses. <laughs> Human centipede style. <laughs> this is slowly becoming the anti-social media show. Should we rename yeah. it? <laughs> it? It basically has become that. I mean, I think we've, we're on four episodes straight now where we talk about social media for at least a third of the episode. Well, I think um, it's hard not to because I think like literally, I would, this is, this is daring to say, I would say that this is on par with, if not maybe slightly more important than climate change as the, cata- the catastrophe of our times. Why is would I put it above climate change? Because it affects people's belief in the legitimacy of climate change. So it, it's strong enough that it has power over that. It has power over all things. Yes. And I hate, I hate to say that that's... I mean, I hate giving social media that much, much credit or power, but it definitely has become that in our time. Well, it's, 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 you know, like you said before, it's like giving a gun to a child. Like, or somebody said, like, what, what do you expect to happen if you give a gun to, like, a, a chimpanzee? As long as he can figure out how to pull the trigger, he's going to shoot something. That's just yeah. the nature of a chimpanzee. And you know? I keep saying, and I keep saying it over and over and over again. I mean, I have this, it's funny because ever since we started talking about this on the show, um, you know, I've had so many other conversations about social media where I'm just repeating that thing of, of it's not that social media itself is inherently bad. It's the motivations behind it and our lack of cultural um, uh, ability to handle it. I mean, those are the things that ultimately are the, the, the failings of social media. You know, if you took money out of it and you took and you gave us a little bit more enlightenment, like the understanding of how and why social media can be useful versus um, basically trying to replace actual interaction with social media. If we had those two things, then social media media could actually be a very powerful force of good. Right. And plus, you know, like if you, you know, you think about, think about this model. So you have a social media account, right? Whatever. You're following people, you know, some people that you admire or that find you find interesting and you check it yeah, once a day, maybe once every couple of days. And so what did these people talk about? And you know that if everybody's using it like that, first of all, people aren't going to be posting. Well, there are some people who go crazy, but um, for the most part, people aren't going to be posting 50 different fucking things. They're going to post one thing because they want you to read it, right? Sure, they're, sure. They're probably going to take time and they're going to put care into it. Um, you guys might be familiar with the social media model. Actually, I think it's called um, a blog. <laughs> We already had the perfect social media, and then we shit on it and replaced it with this. Remember, well, but, Twitter was originally called a microblog. Yeah, but I, I remember, it, it's funny you say that, because a, a lot of my really close friendships, like people I still value to this day that I've met, you know, back in the live journal days when blogs were still blogs, um, 
those became real social interactions and they became actual friends. Right. The people on social media, I have friends in my real life who I'm friends with on social, who I follow on social media, who I've become less good friends with because I don't ever see them. <laughs> Even to some degree, now it had some of its, um, some of the flaws that would become what we see now, but to some degree, MySpace. Um, sure. And the reason I say that is uh, the negative things were, you know, the top, what was it, top five or top 10? I think it, I, I think there's permutations of both throughout the lifespan of, of, so of that, that fed into the negative, you know, popularity game thing, right? Like, sure. oh, you're in my top, you're in my top list now. But the part about it that actually functioned in a healthy way was the feeds, you know, like, the announcement feed was really just announcements. Sure, it wasn't posts, um, and it was it wasn't filled with new stuff all the time. Sometimes you go in and it'd be like three or four announcements since the last time you checked in, which was maybe three or four days ago. But then the the thing that was healthy was you go to your list of friends and you had to dip into each of their profiles to look and see what they posted. So you're making a conscious decision to check in on this person and a conscious person to check in on or a conscious effort to check in on this person that's yeah, you weren't very just, you, weren't just, you weren't just scrolling up and down with no responsibility to anyone right it's active instead of passive sure um so in that way it was a little bit healthier um i can't uh, obviously i haven't done any research on that so i don't know how healthy it really was compared to real social interaction I don't think anything is ever going to compare to that. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. Even in comparison to to real social interaction, any online interaction is not as inherently meaningful because there's no tactile nature to it. And I think a lot of, like, I think a lot of my my meetings with people this week, for example, have had more meaning, even if I didn't really speak to them about anything deep or or profound or anything like that. I I was able to see them. I was able to like be in their presence, and I feel like that makes a vast difference in how you connect with people. Totally. And by the way, I, I before I forget this, there is something I, you know, you sent me your screenshot when you deleted your social media apps. Yeah. I know at least where a sliver of your anxiety comes from, from looking at your home screen. <laughs> Get rid of those fucking badges. Holy shit, man. <laughs> 1,806 <laughs> emails, yeah, 477 emails in a separate app. And 128 missed calls. Yeah, it's 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 panic-inducing. I mean, that's to give you some idea about what my life looks like. To you, that 128 calls is literally a week. You got to go in there and clear those out every day, just so you don't have to fucking see the badge, though. Yeah, that's, it's, I mean, that's it's what panic-inducing. Yeah, it's not going to stop you from getting that stuff, but you know, like just clearing it out because all you got to do is dip in and dip back out of the app, and it's like, oh, badge is gone because that's. It makes you feel like you're always behind. What I always need to do, to, what I need to learn to do too, and I've actually really conscious of that. I remember at some point um, when I was reading the four-hour work week way back in the day with uh, Tim Ferriss, one of the things that I need to start training people in my life to do is to communicate with me at certain times and in certain ways. Yeah. You know, like I can't, I can't constantly be on call. I'm not a damn surgeon. You know what I mean? That's um, true. And I have to, and I have to train people to like. I have to tell everyone at work, for example, that I check my email at eleven o'clock and at three o'clock, and those are the only times. So if you want to reach me, those are the times to do it, unless you just call me. Absolutely, and that's one of the things like where I'm not sure what to do with the Apple Watch. 
Um, because I think in some ways having the Apple Watch would prevent me from dipping in my phone, just picking up my phone to see if there's any messages, you know, because sure. I get the notification. But then I'm always accessible. Yeah. I don't want to be always accessible anymore. I, I love that you did it accidentally because I consciously did it a month ago. Uh, my my Apple Watch now sits at my bedside. It's it's such a shitty feeling though because you're like, man, that's an expensive device. <laughs> yeah, but but I, I've started to I've, I've I've come to this weird place in my life where I'm like, you know what, the most valuable thing to me is my time, and beyond that, my my mental sanity that takes a that takes a very close second. And the Apple Watch, man, it was turning into a tether. I, it, it was literally running my life. And I mean, let's for anybody out there that's mildly tech um, minded. Yeah, um, it's we could turn off notifications to our devices, and maybe that's my what might be what I end up doing. Um, except for maybe my my VIP list, you know, like uh, two or three people. Like these people might actually call me with a real emergency. Um, sure. Because the one thing that I the, the hardest thing for me to give up on that device is the health aspects because I actually do use the hell out of those rings. They motivate me to walk and to go outside and box and exercise in a way that nothing ever has. But you see, that's that's the healthy that, that's the healthy potential of that device. Totally. Um, and and if you, as long as you can discipline yourself enough to stay within that lane with that device, then it's perfectly fine as a device. This is why I'm saying the technology itself isn't inherently bad. Totally. It's how we it's how we use it and how we understand it that makes it detrimental. And the, I would say that the other than the always being accessible, um, which, like I said, can be fixed by taking off the notifications. The only thing on that device that has been a real negative thing, you know, I would say that of all of my devices, the Apple Watch has probably been more positive than negative. Um, but the one thing that was really bad and that was really bad, which is the heart rate monitor, because that's where I was monitoring my anxiety way too much and feeding into my own anxiety. Yeah, sure. You're consciously feeding your anxiety at that point. Right. And not only that, but, but, but that if you even have any, any modicum of, of hypochondria lingering in your brain, that just enhances it by a thousand times. Right. Well, anytime your heart rate jumps up from anxiety and you see it on the watch, guess what? You're going to get an extra 20 ticks up because knowing that is going to make you even more anxious. So if I could remove the, <laughs> the heart rate monitor, then that would be fantastic. Can you though? Mm-mm. You can't remove stock apps from the watch. You can remove stock apps from some stock apps from the phone, but not from the watch. It's just not sophisticated enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because you're not when you remove them from the phone, you're not really removing them. It just hides it from you in the software. I see. Yeah, if you look at your storage, there's no change in storage when you remove something. And <laughs> actually, have you ever tested it out? Like when you like say, boom, take off the stocks app or whatever, and then go add the stocks app. There's no download time. It's back on your phone instantly. Yeah, I think I've done that with like the books app or something like that. Like it, it's just lingering in the background somewhere. Yeah, it never left. Um, but you know, who knows? That's one thing I have to figure out. You know, there's there's an aspect of this whole social media thing that I've been experiencing this week. Um, I think I think I'm in like my third week, maybe my second week. Um, I've been experiencing withdrawal symptoms. 
really. Yeah. So I, I guess I should warn you. <laughs> They're coming down the pike. Yeah, good, um, to know, good to know that's coming. Although I think maybe yours, maybe it might not happen for you because you are far more interactive in person with human beings than I am. <laughs> so... I love how I love that you speak of them as though they're a separate species from you. <laughs> At this point in my life, it's like they are. It's sad. I I really need to fix that. Um, I just haven't figured out how yet. Um, but yeah, so I've I've had. Um, it's funny as I was um, journaling about these, I realized how connected they are to withdrawal symptoms from when I quit smoking, um, irritability, and depression. <laughs> Huh, okay. Well, yeah. well, it makes sense though when you think about it um, because I don't have very much interaction with people. So by taking social media out, now I really realize how little interaction I have with other human beings. Uh, so now I'm, I'm uh, there's, there's obviously there's a, a sense of like, you know, depression that comes from that. But then there's also, I think, um, there's a sense of insignificance. Hmm. Like no, I'm I'm not posting things and getting likes, so I have no importance anymore. And then I think that leads to irritability. Do you do you feel like your 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 relevance in your social circles diminishes because you you don't feel like you have a constant presence there? Um, I would agree with almost all of that except for the word social circles because I don't know that that ever occurs to me. Uh, I think it's more of an abstract like human beings. Uh, I see. Okay. Um. Just because I don't even know what the hell my social circle is anymore. <laughs> I don't have one. Yeah, I've, been, I've, been, I've been having a similar... It's self-induced, which is horrifying, but I've been having a similar feeling because I've been reading, watching, and, and listening to a lot of stuff about the universe <laughs> and astrophysics mm. and, and realizing how horribly insignificant we as a species are, much less as individuals. That's funny. That's something that came up in my conversation with Eric. Um, the idea of, you know, he, he likes the fact that it makes him um, less important, that, sure. you know, the vastness. Oh, yeah. No, I, it's not that I, I, feel, I feel worthless because of it. I just realize, it, if anything, it makes me feel like, oh, God, it's so hard to put. It, it's liberating. Um, it's liberating to know that you're insignificant. Right. And the reason why, and the reason why is because then you can just you, your your fear really isn't that important. Your anxiety really isn't that important. Like yeah. just just get to it, dude. Just go do shit. <laughs> yeah, I've, you know, I've noticed. Um, I'm I'm curious if if you have the same problem. I noticed there are things that I know I want to do. Um, you know, like I was sitting down to write the book. There's a great example, or um. I have an idea to investigate a crime, uh, unsolved crime. I'm curious. Like I want to, I want to test my um, my detective skills on a real case. That's something I've been thinking about. Um, these are things I want to do, but I find myself somehow making sure that the day is full enough that I never get around to those. Yeah, what is that phenomenon? I think it's fear. But it's so, but it's so cleverly disguised by your own brain. Yeah, I mean, I, I, there's probably more to it than was, just fear. I was, I was just too busy to get to it today. Yeah, and I mean, there's there's probably some laziness. Um, 
And then there's also a weird... So the absence of social media has created a vacuum. And like vacuums or like black holes, they suck in the thing that's the closest, right? Right away. So the first thing that happened was I started playing a lot of solitaire and civilization on my iPad. And I mean hours. Um, that's a problem I have to deal with later. Mm. But um, I think it's that there's still the device addiction. You know, I've, I've worked my way through that social addiction part, but the device addiction is that. And that's where it's, it's manifesting. So I'm letting, in some way, I'm, it's, it's dealing with an addiction thing, but it's also I'm letting that excuse of addiction allow me to put off the other things. Oh, sure. Huh, you know? interesting. Well, I got to listen to these three. That's another thing I had to do. I forgot to mention when I said I narrowed things down. I unsubscribed from uh, 60% of the podcasts that I listened to. Yeah, I did that a while ago too. I think I've only got like seven on my list now. And it's it's it sucks because every show that I unsubscribe from, I like, I like this show. But I started thinking, I'm like, what show... Like, what show is something that really feeds my life and what is entertaining me. Um, mm-hmm. and it's okay that some things entertain us, but I don't need like 50 shows to entertain me. That's sure. way too much you entertainment. You don't need to be pacified per se. And I hate to be stereotypical. What I discovered is the one show that I know for positive that I can't live without is, is Rogan. Mm-hmm. He introduces things to my brain through his guests from so many different perspectives that it feeds my brain in a way that nothing else in my life does. Um, of granted, I could read lots of books, but I'm not going to get uh, the gist of that in three hours and then want to go pick up their book or even know of those books from not listening to a show, you know? So that's probably my only one that I couldn't get rid of. What Everything spe- else? What, what specifically do you get out of Rogan? Critical thinking. Mm. Um, I get challenged Um, you know whether it's like you can go back a while ago having to listen to Ted Nugent for two and a half hours and um, or uh, hearing Peter Schiff the the libertarian slash Republican economist and realizing like oh some of those things make sense sure Um, uh, or you know listening to a someone on the far left and going, wow, that dude sounds, he's, he's right on that. He's right on that. He sounds fucking nuts on that. Um, <laughs> but it exposes me to those things. So it actually makes me more of an individual because I'm going, this is what I believe. Sure. As opposed to uh, team dynamics, which we always talk about. So, so it essentially solidifies your, your belief system in a way that, that only dissension can like hearing yeah. someone like hearing someone that disagrees with you makes you more thoroughly understand why you believe something yeah it forces me into thought processes that i wouldn't normally have interesting what's your what what one show would you not be able to get rid of if you had to get rid of all the other ones oh man that's so tough it is but you know it you know it you know what it is because I'm going to have to say it's case file. Interesting. Yeah. I have, 
because and the reason for me is, is is because you know throughout the course of my life like even through school and i mean very few people actually know this about me is that um you know my my dream almost my entire young adult life was to eventually become an fbi profiler and i did a whole bunch of research and training in order to head in that direction i ultimately didn't end up following that path to fruition because of how dark of a space it brought me to but um so many of the the things that 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 get my brain moving in the direction that I wanted to come from from investigating crime. Yeah, when when you and Brandon and I were doing those hunter killers, yeah, I think we did it twice. That was so much fun. Yeah, it was. Man, I wish we should probably try to get back to that at some point. I just wish life looked different. Yeah, I think <laughs> but, he has you know, those stacked that, up that's, still. I hate I hate saying that too, though, because it feels like such a cop out. You just got. I, there's literally only one thing you can do is you have to start cutting stuff. Yeah. And it, it's literally, you have to cut stuff that you like to make room for the stuff you love. Yeah. Oh, that's a, oh, that's a great sentence. It's true. I mean, that is such a great sentence that it, it, of the things you've said to me in the, the last couple of months, that's probably one of the most meaningful. Well, if it helps, I hope it does because I hate hearing that you uh, are feeling that panic state because I know what it feels like. I fucking hate it. Yeah, it's it's maddening. It makes it hard to do anything. Like I, I don't eat properly. I don't sleep very well. I mean, all the all the things you know, all the things that that inherently come along with that that unrelenting anxiety. It's 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 like being in the uh, a a bathtub filled with water that's just a little too cold to be comfortable in. Did you feel in the time, you know, the last week without the social media, did you feel any of that um, ebb? Um, The first couple of days, it was worse. Um, The water became very cold. And at least before I could warm up the water a little bit. But I, the first couple of days, I, I, the water felt even colder and I had no escape. I had no reprieve from it at all. But after about four days, yes, the water started to warm a little bit. And by the fifth day, I, I didn't even, I mean, by, by the sixth or seventh day, I didn't even feel like I was in the water anymore. It was so much more fun to hang out with people that I felt like I'd replaced that anxiety with this this comfort that's that's very different. Yeah, you started feeling human again. Yeah, it's, it's odd how that works. <laughs> you know, like like talking about, you know, like going to an ice cream shop. Like when's the last time you as an adult male went to an ice cream shop with a friend? With you. When we had that um, Darudian popsicle. Darudian. Oh my God. That's right. You and Nancy and Emily, right? And John Miller? Yeah. Wow. So that I, was what, two years ago? Yeah. No, so that's a year that's and a half ago. That's literally so. So Harag and I went to this place called I Three Scream or something like that. Basically, it's these handmade waffles, and they 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 make basically adult ice cream, um, where you, as an adult, you know, you don't have limitations on what you can put on your ice cream or what you do to it. And that place is inherently built for that. So everything about that sounded dirty. Oh, it's it's amazing. <laughs> adult it's ice amazing. cream. It is, it is dirty. It's totally dirty. If I sent you the pictures of what we got, you'd be like, "Wow, that is horrifying." <laughs> They have a waffle. They they do a chicken and waffle cone where there's ice cream, fried chicken, and a waffle. I mean, come on! Wow, it's awesome. It's amazing. Um, you know, one thing I wanted to mention real quick. Um, 
something that came up in uh, out of the episode with Eric, but something that we talk about here a lot that, um, you know, when we have these conversations, you, I'm talking to the audience right now. I know you know this. When we have these conversations, um, sometimes there's, because Lamb and I know each other well, or on my other show, I know my guest well, <clears throat> there are certain assumptions that are made that I, I, I think that uh, when either of us say something, we assume that people know something else, right? And I don't mean like people or stuff like that. Sure. You know, like we're, we're jumping in the middle of a conversation sometimes um, because, uh, you know, like if we we're going to talk about the police, the album, I mean, the band, um, and we started talking about how the third album compares to the first album, there's an automatic assumption that people have heard those. Um, so one of those things is when we talk about trigger warnings. And then Sarah actually text messaged me about this, and it was a, a nice thing for her to point out, and I wanted to bring out to the audience. When we criticize trigger warnings, what we're criticizing is trigger warnings used in the colloquial sense. In in the you're making me confront something that makes me feel unsafe about what I think, not how I feel emotionally or whether I feel physically safe, but mental safeness. Um, like you say that and I don't agree with that trigger warning. You should have gave me a trigger warning that you were going to talk about Republican politics because I'm a Democrat. That's what we're criticizing. The real trigger warning, um, which is the thing that we made an assumption that people knew, is for people with PTSD. Um, a trigger warning is supposed to, you know, like if you if you suffer from PTSD from being in the war, you probably don't want to watch Saving Private Ryan. Because you're going to have an episode, you're you're going to have a problem, and it's it's not about toughening up, which is the stuff we talk about here. That's something completely different, and that's a real trigger warning, and that's a real useful case for that. And I just sure. wanted to clarify that in case anybody out there suffers from these things and thinks that we've been diminishing any of that, or somebody didn't know about that, and we've been giving them the impression of something false. We're talking about it used beyond the actual clinical usage of the term and used as like this common term that people throw around all the time to prevent themselves from being offended. Totally. Sure. Yeah. And, and it's, it's an important distinction too. I mean, I, I work with, um, I actually work with PTSD victims um, in particular, a good friend of mine um, who I spend a, a decent, amount of time with is 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 putting together a nonprofit organization that definitely focuses or that actually focuses on PTSD for um, soldiers and um, pararescuemen. And so that is definitely a, a very important distinction to draw. And I'm glad that you actually did that. What led you to doing that, by the way? Sarah text messaged me because it's something that came up in the, converse, in the conversation. Sorry, I keep mentioning this episode. Um, but the conversation with Eric on Creative Minds, we talked about trigger warnings. Um, and I did the same thing there. I made the assumption that people understood that I wasn't talking about clinical um, trigger warnings for people with actual um, mental health problems. Got it. And that I just assumed everybody knew I was making, essentially making fun of, you know, college students who walk around and don't want to hear certain words. Tough shit. Sure. <laughs> Tough enough. That's what I say to them. People with actual mental problems, I hope you feel better. And I hope that you're getting help. Totally different things. And I, it's hard when you do this stuff because, you know, you guys hear the recordings of the stuff. But for me, 
my experience and for Lamb's experience and for the experience of my guests on the other show, it's live. <laughs> we're living in the moment. You know, we don't, we're not writing this out and planning what we're going to say and then making sure we negotiate everything perfectly. So it happens. Yeah. I'm just glad that this medium is a way you can come back and go, hey, by the way, let me add context to something. Remember when we actually planned out our shows? <laughs> yeah, that was rough. Yeah, it was such a different experience. I mean, it's I, we talk about this offline and online quite a bit. Um, but the experience for producing the show is so different. <laughs> yeah, it's so much more fun now. By the way, we still have to do bonus episodes. I really do wish that that other people could have this experience because it's such a rewarding one. Um, you know, the ability to, to share openly with a friend um, in an ongoing conversation that... You know, even even as I'm saying this, I realize that this is the way all interactions used to be. Yeah, absolutely. And and that and that that's what's wrong with the world. <laughs> that's what made me start thinking about the phone thing because I'm like, that's essentially what you and I are doing. We're just sharing it with other people. Um, you know, like for example, everybody listening, I have these lists. If you actually knew me in real life, or if you actually know me in real life, you know this. I would probably have this list if I was meeting you for coffee <laughs> sure. because there are things that I want to tell people and I have to remind myself, Oh, talk to that person about this. Talk to, I make lists like this because as strange and introverted and antisocial as I can be, I love conversation. I love it. And I, I, you, do you think you're introverted? I know I'm introverted. I don't know, man. You say I don't get that. any energy from being around people. I get tired. Yeah, but you also have such. You also get such a kick out of of having conversations with individuals and teaching people stuff. Oh, totally. I'm not shy. I'm introverted. Those are two different things. Mm. Shy is like I'm, you know, I'm bashful or I'm not able to interact with people. Um, I'm not shy. I can be at certain points with strangers. Um, but introverted is where you get your energy. I don't get my energy from having conversations with people. I enjoy it. But when I'm done, I'm exhausted. Interesting. Whereas I if I stay home, that, I, I don't get tired. What's that? Yeah, I, I guess I never get to see that. Like I don't see the aftermath. That's why anytime where I'm like, I got, I'm leaving. That's why I'm leaving because I'm, my uh, tank's empty. You know, but after, after knowing you for a decade, I finally understand that now. Mm. I didn't know that before. Well, yeah, I don't announce it <laughs> because it sounds bad. Be like, I am, I don't have the energy to talk to you people anymore. <laughs> it sounds insulting, but it's literally like I don't, I, I lose the ability to form sentences. It's very strange. Huh. I'll, I'll I, get, you know, I, I guess I, I guess I have seen a little bit of that, but I never knew that that was the reason why. Well, for many of the years that you knew me, I was able to, um, stimulate those conversations longer by drinking because of sugar oh, and caffeine. Point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I could spin off longer. But now I get tired very fast. And like um, when we went to um, the Limon Salon anniversary party, right? Yeah. When we left, I was empty. Remember when we went back in the hallway and everybody's drunk and I was like, let's, let's go. I just yep. couldn't deal with it. I was done. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And that happened really fast too. Yeah. It's it's literally, there's no warning that, you know, like there's no, um, you're running low on gas light. 
yeah, it's just like just empty. Suddenly out of gas. Oh shit! Time to time to get off the freeway before you get smacked. Yep. Slow to start, fast to end. Huh. That also sounded slightly dirty. Yeah, we we tend to do that. That could be if we were to give a nickname <laughs> to the show, it could be slightly dirty. Uh, think about it. Slightly dirty. I'm going to call this episode slightly dirty. Oh man. <laughs> no. So 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 after how long have you had the dog now? Uh, a little over a month. That's actually um, on my list. So, and it's actually been on my list for the last couple of weeks. I kind of wanted you to give progress reports as to how that's that's changing your 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 mood and anxiety levels. Um, so, oh, it's fantastic for anxiety. Yeah. So, so let me ask you that now. Like, what do you feel has has changed in your anxiety, and how? Um, I don't have enough time to spin internally. Um, which is a really fancy way of saying I don't have enough time to think about myself too much. Um, you know, I, like I said, I've been having like these deeper thoughts and I keep physically grabbing the notebook because I'm feeling really bonded to this notebook because of how much I've been writing in it. But as far as um, hypochondria and anxiety, that type of self-focused thought, I don't really have a lot of... I don't know why. I don't feel like I have less time but I just don't end up in those places anymore. And I think it's just because it's a constant reminder of this living thing that's around me, that loves me and is dependent upon me. Um, I can't spin off too far. You know, maybe, maybe for all I know, like in some subconscious way, I'm starting to go there, but then that's about the point where he jumps on my lap or where he has to go to the bathroom or where it's time to feed him or I got to take him for a walk or I just want to play with him because he looks so cute, you know? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but there's also the, the he makes me laugh and he makes me smile so those things are putting chemicals into my body that work against anxiety interesting so there's a physical component and a so there's all kinds of components in that there's a social component there's a physical component and there's there's a, a task oriented component as well yeah like a nurtured task yeah sure sure that's so really fascinating it, it messes with your self-importance because it sounds weird because this thing is depending on you. You think that you would assume that makes you feel more important, but it, you don't think about it that way. You're just like this, you know, it's like a duty thing, but like a, a prideful duty. Yeah. Especially if he has to go to the bathroom because that's actual duty. Uh, uh, using crumbs. I don't like it. Sorry. <laughs> you know, you know, in, in a weird kind of way, a lot of the things that we've talked about tonight, um, seemingly unrelated but kind of related um is that there's a certain sense of of self-importance that we just have to remove from all of this right that's the that's the biggest lie that social media has sold us yeah um that we're more important than we are in a specific way um I don't. I don't know how to say that clearer. Do you do you get what I'm saying there? And maybe able to explain. I, I get what you mean, um, and I've definitely fallen into that trap, especially given that I was, you know, a photographer. Um, so my pictures. I, I was having this this conversation with our friend Brittany at some point. Uh, Brittany Bowen, the photographer, um, where she, we we talked about how because we're photographers, there's a certain expectation of quality that comes from our photos. Um, and I definitely had a sense of 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 importance that came from those photos at some point. Like, you know, I had to appear a certain level of cool. And so that created almost 
an alter ego for me that that had its own its own built-in importance um, that was separate from my person. Um, and that was a very weird thing to reconcile when I finally realized that it was happening. That's a that's a perfect way to say it. It's it's um it places an importance on image. Sure. Which is a pun as well, since you're talking about photos. <laughs> um, I figured I at least had to, that one back at you. Um, but what is important is actually the part of self-importance is actually important is how we show up in other people's lives. Um, and I don't mean on phones, in their actual lives. You know, how we hang out with somebody, how we're there for them when they need us, how this little guy I have to take to the bathroom needs me and loves me. That's an importance, but it's not an importance that can inflate my ego. It's a, it's a humbling importance. And I think yeah. we're all lacking that. I feel like that's such a big difference. And I feel like that's why it's different. I did the humbling importance versus the, the bolstering importance, that false sense of, 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 flattery almost i mean it's it's strange to describe it because i'm not exactly sure I, i'm not exactly sure how to describe it in a way that makes sense i know exactly what you mean though you know it's it's this inflated self-importance it's almost a facade um, that you create that you now have to live up to and it's it's an imbalance too right because um the importance of image is a one-way importance i am important to these people but they're not important to you. Not in that dynamic, unless they do what you're doing. You know, like you're earning importance, right? Because I make these images and I put out these words, I am important to these people. But they're not important to me, except when they do the same thing. When they put out their crafted images, then they earn my interest in them. Whereas in real life, when, you know, like he needs me, but I need him, the dog. You know, there's a, 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 a balance, a mutualness to real life importance. You know, yeah. a child can't, uh, you have a broken relationship if the child needs the parent, but the parent doesn't need the child. Sure. Or the friend, one friend needs the, the, the other friend, but it doesn't go back. Then that's not a good, that's not a real friendship. Oh man, I've been struggling with that lately. That's a whole other can of worms that we can dive into. Well, we do have time. Yeah, I'm not even. It's it's hard to 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 dive into that part of the conversation because of how close these people are to us. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't have to use names. Yeah, but it, I don't think people want to know names, anyways. Yeah, that's true. It the weirdest part is for those facade versions of you to become friends because that doesn't necessarily mean that you will be friends with that person in real life say that in different words i'm not sure i got what you meant when you said okay, the facade, okay so, so, so you so you know this the, this image version we create for ourselves in social media right yeah we'll call um, it cool lamb so we'll say cool lamb right and let's say a fictitious name i'm going to use stephanie let's say there's a cool stephanie all right and Cool Lamb and Cool Stephanie are friends on social media because we make each other more cool. And right. then we meet each other in real life and we don't get along quite as well as our cool selves want us to. <laughs> yeah, because your friendship 
between Cool Lamb and between Cool Stephanie is a friendship in quotation marks. How strange that reconciliation is in your brain cannot be described unless you've had to go through it. And going back to what you said before, before current social media, I, I can't think of an example right now. I'm sure there's somebody from current social media where this has happened. But one of my longest and closest friends is somebody I met on MySpace. Mm. My, I think you've met her, my friend Stacy. Oh, yeah, sure. We met on Facebook. I mean, uh, MySpace. <laughs> That's funny. But that, I mean, maybe that goes back to what I was saying about MySpace was closer to true interaction. And I'm not saying people don't meet people on Facebook or whatever and become real friends in real life. I'm just saying I don't know that I have necessarily. Mm. At least not that I can think of now. If if you're listening, the person that, <laughs> that became my friend in real life through current social media, and I'm not thinking of you right now, sorry. Once again, it's live for me. Do you have an example of how that didn't work out? You mean where uh, I met somebody and I didn't like them? Where where the cool yous met and it just didn't it, it it didn't pan out the way either of you thought it would? Um, yeah, lots of times, mostly with women. Okay, then I'm glad I'm not the only one because I, yeah. I I I felt strange thinking that other people didn't have that experience, but I assumed that other people did. You're just giving me confirmation of that. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, there's been definitely a bunch of, or um, there's also the awkwardness of like, oh, we know each other. No, no, we don't. So or, what, do, what do we talk about? <laughs> yeah. Or that super weird experience of having someone come up and, and talk to you about your posts um, I still, I'm, I'm, I'm still super weirded out by that. Yeah, people come up with us like, "Oh yeah, I saw you." And what's what's her face's Instagram? Or, or even weirder is they'll walk up to you and say, "Hey, how was that one event that yeah. whatever artist or what concert you went to or whatever?" I'm like, I don't even know your name. I have no idea who you are. <laughs> That's the kind of stuff that made me stop wanting to post anything personal anymore. Um, not because I had any creepy or any bad things. Um, and I'm sure you're not saying that that was like a stalker type thing or anything. No, like that. no, not at all. Yeah. It is just weird when confronted with the reality of what you're posting. Um, I mean, I've had through the, through the many, many things that I've, I've done online over the years, I've had people who have followed many things and there's an insinuated intimacy to that relationship that's not real. Um, it doesn't mean that the person's not a good person or, you know, any of those things, but there's an insinuated intimacy, especially um, when I was putting out a lot of writing or like when I was vlogging was actually as a perfect example. I was literally showing you what seemed like my day. You know, of course it's edited and uh, you're not seeing my whole day. There was an, an insinuated level of intimacy there that when you actually confront it in reality is actually really uncomfortable. Um, you know, like people start to feel a certain, I'm trying not to say this in a mean way because I don't mean this in a mean way, but some of the words sound mean. People seem to think that they have a right to certain things about you. Mm. Um and I'm sure that people that are like famous have this problem all the time. 
Um, they just maybe don't see it as easily because they have so many people following them and messaging them. But you sure. do something um, creatively or you do something maybe, you know, it's just like I went to get tacos from this place and people assume that they have a right to tell you what you should and shouldn't do the way that a friend would. But in reality, they're still just a stranger to you. Does that make sense? Am I, am I explaining that right? Yeah, no, totally, totally. Um, and I feel, like, I feel like people will, if they listen carefully, they'll understand what you're talking about. Because I think anyone who has any social media account that has spent any reasonable amount of time on it has had that experience. And it's, it's not anything against the people doing it. Because these things make it feel intimate. You know, they fake an intimacy. Um, but when you're the person putting stuff out and you're getting that back, there's a certain line where you go, whoa, whoa. <laughs> sure. You know, like, and because I think that um, like people with the vlog, the vlogs is a perfect example. People watching the vlog feel closer to me than I feel to them because I'm not watching their day. They're watching mine. Right. So all I'm getting from them is a sentence or two. What they're getting from me is hours and hours of video of my life. So they feel closer to me, but to me, they're still just little names and avatars. You know, I, I, I become familiar and friendly with those names and avatars, but that's all they are. I don't know anything else about them. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you that I felt that way. Um, and I'm not even sure if it's, it's something that, that I was conscious of, of, of owning at the time, but I definitely felt like there were parts of your life that I know how to write to that I probably shouldn't have had a right to. And I, I think and I, always go back, <laughs> I always go back to Casey Neistat where he said he had gotten a taxi and the taxi driver asked him about his daughter and used his daughter's name. Oh, that's weird. And it's, it, people think, well, what's so bad about that? It's weird if you're a parent... To have a stranger ask you about your toddler, like how's your toddler doing, and use the toddler's name. Yeah, that's, that's creepy, man. That's weird. And the person's not trying to be creepy; they're trying to be very nice. Oh, but sure. you open a door, a one-way door, that when stuff starts coming back through that door, it gets really weird. And I think that slowly people are starting to realize that. I know Casey did. He's like, he stopped filming her face. Yeah, I can imagine. He's like, I don't want people to know what she actually looks like. You know, because God forbid, like, you know, like somebody's like, oh, there's Casey Neistat's daughter. Who knows what, what their intention is knowing that now? Yeah, that is 100% not okay, man. That's why I, I have so much respect for like what Madonna would, did with um, with her daughter. Like keeping her out of the spotlight completely. Um, sure. You know, you don't get to see her face. Because she gets to be her own person. But then there's also all the creepy stuff that goes along with that too because she's so famous. But Yeah, I, I can't imagine being the, the child of an iconic pop star that is basically a once-in-a-generation level of pop star. Yeah, or just being the kid of like somebody who's on TV that's not even that famous. Even that has just got to be the weirdest level of attention. Sure. Yeah, so far beyond any any kind of comfort level that I would have about it. I think that there's an assumption that a lot of us make or have made. Um, I know that at a certain point, 
this is when I was much younger. I never understood where, um, uh, at the time I would use the term famous people. I never understood why famous people didn't share more. You know, why don't you tell me more about this? I want to know more about your life. And these are the things that I want to know. Well, now that, and granted, I'm not comparing myself to fame, but now that I know what it's like to be on the other side of that one-way door, I sure. know why they have walls built. And now, and now just take that version that you understand it, or take that version of it as you understand it and enhance it by a thousand times. Right. And like my, my experience was small and it was kind. Imagine if it was more intense and negative. Ugh. You know, like somebody wants to kill you or somebody just shits on you every day on social media. Yeah, and there are definitely people for whom that happens. I mean, even even perfectly well-minded, well-intentioned people get their fair share of, of criticism and shit on a daily basis. Right. Yeah. You know, like going back to that um, Mr. Rogers documentary, even Mr. Rogers got shit. <laughs> He's Mr. Dan Rogers. Come on. I know. Who the fuck were those people? Those people need to get a life. If, you, yeah. if you're spending your time shitting on Mr. Rogers, Jesus. Hmm. Um, I have a, I have a, you know, I always like to bring up the synchronicities, Lamb. Um, I have a really good synchronicity for you. This one, um, this is metaphorical, but it almost made me poop. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so going back to everything we've talked about in this episode and quitting social media and removing them from my phone and all of this stuff, right? So I have my little pocket notebook and I have a black um, space pen, the bullet space pen, right? Um, And I used to have, I used to carry field notes, but I went to these, um, they're called word notebooks Mm -hmm. because they have these little bullets. um, So I can check things off when I've, you know, when I'm done with it because everything in here moves somewhere else. But I used to have field notes and I used to have a brass space pen. And one day I could not find the brass space pen. I looked everywhere. I'm like, I'd, I, I must have dropped it. I must have lost it somewhere. And then that's why I bought this black one. Um, so I would say maybe a year and a half. No, I guess, I guess it was almost two years. It was almost two years that I lost. Two, two years ago, I lost that. And the other day, I'm going to take the dog for a walk. And I had like these, sorry if I'm being too descriptive, but I think these (laughs) details are fairly important. Um, I had these like olive green pants on. And I went to put on a jacket and I'm like, that looks a warm jacket. That looks really ridiculous. It's like a pea coat. But these pants I had are like, um, you know, they have elastic at the bottom, like sweatpants. Um, so it looks stupid wearing a pea coat with those kind of pants. You know, I look like an idiot. I'm like, okay, you I can't look like a homeless. Yeah, you look like a, 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 a mentally challenged person. <laughs> yeah, I, I like I. Yeah, I look like Rain Man. Maybe. Um, I go okay. I got, I can't wear this jacket, so I put the jacket back. And I have my great great grand my great 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 grandfather's just one great my great grandfather's coat. He had like this trench coat and it's also olive green. So yes, it's kind of a trench coat and maybe it looks a little ridiculous with those pants, but at least the color matched. So I was like that, it it looked a little bit better. Yeah, it's in the ballpark, sure. Yeah, I looked less ridiculous. 
so I put it on and I put my my black space pen and my word notebook in the pocket. Take the dog for the walk. I come back without thinking of it. You know, I'm used to just taking these things out of my pocket. So I take them out of my pocket. In my head, I don't know I did it. It's a subconscious action. I go to hang the jacket up and I'm like, it feels a little heavy. You know, you're holding it by the, the nape and so I'm shaking it. I'm like, it's a little heavy. So I start like frisking it. And I'm like, oh, and I, I feel a notebook and the space pen. And I'm like, oh, I, I left my notebook and my space pen in there. I pull it out. It's Field Notes notebook with the brass pen from two years ago. <laughs> I haven't worn that jacket in two years. So I go, oh, that's where that went. And I'm totally stoked because number one, I found this pen. So I have a backup of like my favorite little everyday carry pen. And I love the way the brass one looked. So I'm totally stoked about that. But then I'm also stoked because I have this field notes notebook from two years ago that I haven't seen for two years. So I'm wondering like, what kind of stuff did I write in there? What kind of cool things can I find in there? Interesting. So I sit down and later I sit down and I open that little notebook. and I read the first page and I flip to the second page. This is, these are the words I read. Deleted all social media off my phone. I've done it before, <laughs> but hopefully it sticks this time. <laughs> Oh, man. But here's the best part about it. And this is the synchronicity weird part about it. That entry was from February 11th, 2017. February 11th, 2019 was the approximate date that I deleted social media apps off of my phone. That is hilarious. How weird is that? That is really strange. And then I think I told you last week, I've been like doing deep dives on the talking heads. Page six. Talking heads. Jeez. Really weird. Speaking of which, um, I actually remember that coat, that pen, and that field notebook. <laughs> yeah. Because you, 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 you couldn't be caught without them at some point. That's true. It's absolutely true. I have a recommendation for you, by the way, that I've been waiting weeks and weeks to tell you about. What do you got? It's something I've never done on this show before. I'm going to tell you about a game. Huh. You have to... I think it's like $10. You, you have to get this game. I think it's, I think it's on like all platforms, but I, I thought I did it on the iPad and it was easiest on the iPad because it's um, touch navigation. You know, like click here to make the character walk there. Yeah. It's called Oxen Free. Like Ollie Ollie Oxen Free. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, Lamb. The coolest fucking game. I don't even I don't even want to tell you anything about it. It's just it's one of those games where um where you have to move the character around and um you get into conversations and um you know you have to pick one of three things to say. But what's interesting about this one is number one, they pop up as um cartoon bubbles. Mm-hmm. Um and if you don't react within like five or six seconds, then your character just doesn't say anything. So you have like you have like a time limit on certain things. So you can get out of certain conversations. So you'll like be in a conversation and you're like, I you look at your three responses, you're like, I'm I I can't stand by any of those. So you just say nothing. I cannot believe you're recommending a game. That that's gotta be some kind of game if you're it's, actually recommending a game to me. The the I mean it's it's an amazingly designed game. It looks really fucking cool and it's a really fun game. But the thing about it is you know how dialogue in games sucks 
Yeah, you know, usually there, pretty terrible, yeah. There's always like a, the dialogue in this is so well written. And the voice actors are like legit. So like it doesn't feel fake like most games do. It I mean sure. like it's immediately immersive and it's it's just a fascinating story. There's all kinds of like uh, paranormal stuff in there that happens, but it's just play the game, Lamb. Buy the game, play the game, tell us what you think of it because it's cool. It's it's the only game that I've ever recommended. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. We circle around to all of the things that we used to do in all of the various other shows accidentally. Like we used to do this all the time when we were talking about technical badass, badassery, you know, apps and games and all that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. this is the first time I've ever actually heard you recommend anything game-like in any of those mediums at all. So that's fascinating. I don't know why I ended up downloading it, but I just did and I started playing it. And I'm like, just literally like a minute into the game, I'm like, this is fucking rad. Okay, Oxenfree, got it on the list. I played it and I think I, I went through the whole thing in like two days because I, it's just so immersive. Huh. Um, do you remember anything from your list or do you have anything that you want to talk about? Uh, man, not that won't be a deep dive into something. Um, I, I actually am curious. I don't know if you consume any of these things, but I'm actually curious um, if you think at some point the fascination with, with reality shows is going to die. Or, or, or not just reality reality shows, but like the talent shows, like America's Got Talent or um, American Idol or any of those things. Like, do you think do you think the the sheen of that's going to wear off anytime soon? Mm, that's a good question because I do feel like those tie into the social media thing because I think they're fueled by social media. Absolutely, that's part of the reason why it's on my list. And it's a it's a perpetual. Um, I can't remember where I was going with that. It, it it perpetuates, that's what it is. It perpetuates the um, the thing that we we're talking about with the false image. Um, sure. You know, because all these people are getting up there saying, why are they, they're doing the same thing that people are doing on social media. They want, they think that they're going to become the next Madonna or the next um, Alan Jackson. Do people even talk about Alan Jackson? Why the fuck did my head? No, Whenever I have no, to think of examples, why, why the weirdest shit Jackson always pops in my head. <laughs> the next Falco. <laughs> <laughs> but they all think that that's what's going to happen. But most of the people that win these things, they don't really, you know, I think what, like, um, I don't follow these things. So you'll have to help me here because you probably know more people that know this stuff. But like Kelly Clarkson became pretty famous for a little while in real life outside of the show. Yeah. yeah. Um, anybody else? Um, Adam Lambert. Um, oh, that Susan Boyle lady. Yeah. Yeah. There's a few. She was rad though. I liked her. I, somebody told me about that and I'm like, all right, I gotta watch this. Like, yeah, there's something awesome about that Susan Boyle thing because, um, anybody that hasn't seen this, I'm going to put this in the show notes. I don't, it's so funny. We're talking about if these things will ever go away and I'm going to make you guys watch something from it. But what's great about this is it's a perfect example of what we're talking about. The woman is not beautiful. She's not disgusting or anything. She's just not a, you know, like a glamorous woman. And she's not a young woman. And she has like a, it's a 
I think X Factor was the show or something. So it's from England. So she has like, I think what's considered a Northern accent, which is considered less um, posh than a London accent. Um, and she's kind of goofy. So everyone's judging her when she gets up there. You know, this is going to be funny, you know, because people love those shows. From what I can tell, they love laughing at people sucking. So they're hoping that this lady's going to suck. And she doesn't. She brings down the fucking house. And there's something amazing about that and empowering about that. Because oh, it's I like, that. Yeah. it's a big fucking, it's a two, two-fisted middle finger. You know, that's the name of the title. Two-fisted middle finger. <laughs> two-fisted middle finger from Susan Boyle. <laughs> Am I the only person in the world that has a hard time watching people make have watching people embarrass themselves? I have such a hard time with that. I have zero interest in it. Yeah, it's. it's I don't like making fun of people. I think. Yeah, it, it's same here. I can't even get through it. Like it's so hard for me to watch. It's like tripping the mentally handicapped kid. Yeah. Like, why? Why? You think why? it's funny, really? Well not, well, not only that, but making a big spectacle out of it, and then making it okay for everyone to 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 watch gawk, laugh, and point. Why? Yeah, Why is the impulse it. to do that? I think that the reason that it sticks around is because it feeds a darker side of ourselves. Mm, sure, it, it feeds the, the 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 power of the mob. Well, no, it feeds the. I'm not as bad as that person. Oh, sure. Ugh. You know, which like is, which sure, but my life might. I'm not totally pleased. I'm not living my dreams. This person's trying to and they failed. So number one, ha ha, at least I didn't make an ass of myself. And then there's the also, see, it's a good thing I didn't try to follow my dreams because when you try to follow your dreams, shit like that happens. It just gives you an out. Yeah, that's terrible. It's awful. You guys should live your dreams and fuck people who laugh at other people because you know what they are? Assholes. And there's one thing we don't like on this show is assholes. Well, if anything, I don't even think it's that they're assholes. I think they're they're just afraid and they're using someone else to validate their fear. But they're being assholes. Yeah, and they're being assholes about it, yeah. <laughs> I mean, once again, people are redeemable. I believe that. I believe that all people, even the worst people, have some value as a human being. Even people, the worst people in history were redeemable for one thing. Or they could have been redeemable for one thing, but I feel like I feel like just from the conversations that I've had with Eric over the past like couple of weeks, I feel like that became a large part of your conversation with him. Oh, absolutely! We talked a lot about Louis C.K. Actually, yeah, I can't wait to hear that episode. That's going to be fascinating. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, I say that about all of them, but that one was particularly good because it was really uncomfortable um, at sure. first. Um. I guess I'll just talk about this right now. Um, one of the things that was really difficult, I've known Eric for, I'm, I'm telling the audience, I know you know this because we've talked about it. I've known Eric for like 20 years. So remember when we have a lot of history. Um, and I was there when he went through a very big and very difficult divorce. And his ex-wife is a very good friend of mine. Um, so it was... I avoided having him on that show because it was very difficult for me to figure out how to navigate that conversation because um, much like this show, I don't plan and I don't steer things. I let them go where they go. And I wasn't sure how to negotiate that where it was possible that we could end up talking about 
his ex-wife. Um, and number one, maybe he wouldn't want to talk about that. So then it would be weird there. Or I don't know how somebody's feeling unless I asked them, right? This is what I had to learn. But who knows? I was, there's part of me is like, well, what if he says something that like offends her? And I know she listens. So now I'm a shithead for having um, him on and him saying that because, you know, I'm not going to get into an argument with somebody on that show. I let people say what they say. Um, so it was, it was difficult. And what I had to do at, uh, at Lamb's, um, not beckoning, <laughs> through Lamb's help, um, I ended up realizing, you know, like, I at least need to tell him why. I've, you know, because slowly all of the people we know were slowly making it on the show and he wasn't. So it was apparent that I was avoiding it or <laughs> maybe it was apparent uh, uh, or maybe it looked like I was purposely not having him on, which is even worse. Right. So eventually I had to communicate to him. This goes back to what you've been saying for a long time. Lamas have those difficult conversations. I had to tell him, you know, I've, I'm sorry, I've been avoiding this because I feel uncomfortable with how to do this. And, um, and I, you know, I said all the things that I just said to you and I got a very great response back and I was like, all right, you know, then let's do it. Let's do it. So I went into that episode, like really, um, still a little bit nervous, but, um, more just because I felt like once I expressed that stuff to him, some of it felt really stupid, which is often happens when you don't share things with people. (laughs) Um, so now I was afraid that, you know, I had prepped him for something far worse (laughs) than what was actually going to (laughs) happen. And that actually happened. Um, there's a point in there where it's like, he says in the episode, you'll hear it. He says, I was afraid you were going to come at me with some really hard hitting questions. I was like, no, that's not really what I meant. So obviously I didn't clarify. (laughs) So I had prepped him. So he probably went in a little bit afraid too, which is funny for people who've known each other that long. Yeah, that is weird. That is weird. But the weird thing about shows like Creative Minds is it's easier to do them with strangers sometimes. Oh, um, I feel like that's almost always true. The easiest, the easiest is people that I already know, but I don't know well. That's the easiest because I know where to start and we don't know each other well enough for me to have to worry about um, having to negotiate any personal, um, I, don't, I can't think of a better word, but dramas. Um, Whereas with a stranger, some, I, I don't know where to start always. It, once it gets warmed up, I'm fine. And with people I know, the beginning's easy. It's the later part that gets hard. Well, I think that the trap you fall into too is the familiarity. Like you make assumptions that you, you slide into conversation too easily. So you skip a lot of steps. It's like not showing your math. All right. Um, like there's a part in there where we talk about um, when Eric used to walk up behind people and put his dick in their pocket. Like, oh, maybe that was something that should have just stayed between the two of us, but it's in there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I remember the stories of that too. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the the first time I met Eric, um, God, early 20s, idiots. Um, We were at our mutual friend Carlos Grillo's house, and um, he was inebriated, we should say. And I'd met him two, three minutes before, and then he tackled me into a bush. <laughs> that's drunk Eric. And that and that was my lasting memory of him. Like that's 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 what that's what and I'm glad you ended up doing that episode, by the way, because it was I felt like I it, 
I felt like it was weirdly like subtly cathartic for everybody involved, including me, um, because he knows that you and I do this show on a weekly basis. And he, he, I could tell that he wanted to ask me why the hell you hadn't invited him to do the show. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and I literally, I, at, at that point, I was seeing him like two or three times a week. So it was, it was even weirder um, that we had this, this like I, I didn't know what to tell him. Um, right. and, and I'm glad that you first explained it to me and then you ultimately explained it to him as to how and why that hasn't happened. And I, I thought that was a really, that was a really warm moment for all parties involved uh, because there's, there, you, you wouldn't have felt the need to not do it unless you cared. Yeah. And, that's, and I, I think, mean, and I think, I think that impulse for empathy among all parties is what ultimately defines why I like your other show and why I think we work well here too, as well. Is that there's always this undercurrent of empathy. Um, like all we want is for people to be happy and more creative and more connected. Right. And I feel like that comes out in the show in very strange ways that are sometimes not obvious, but that to me was a very obvious one. What I think is maybe some people don't understand about that show, which is very an interesting topic that this is totally from. There's, um, I don't know how to word this. There's a weird negotiation process that has to go on in the back end, when, especially when you're having on people you know. Um, like, for example, I had on Colin, but I, um, I didn't have on Sarah, which is, for people who don't know, Colin and Sarah are married. Sarah is also Eric's ex-wife. Um, I didn't have Sarah on right after Colin. Why? Because I want when Sarah goes on for her to be seen as an individual person, not as a tack on to Colin. You know, like he had on Colin, then he had on his wife. I don't sure. want it to be seen that way. So I have to think about that. But now I've I had Eric on. Well, now I need to spread out the distance before I have Sarah on because I don't want it to feel like that's clustered together and that there's any connection there because they used to be married, you sure. know, or um, like Strata, you know, like I had on Ryan and I had talked to Harag when he's, when he's ready with his app, have him on so he can tell me about the app that he's working on. And then eventually I was obviously negotiating my way through how to having Eric on, but I had to do some personal negotiation, but I wanted to spread those out. Um, because I'm, all of these things, you have to think about how people are related to each other, but you also have to think about how people will perceive the groupings. Not only the people being invited will perceive the groupings, but how the audience can perceive them. And I always want to do it in the most um, flattering way for the guests. You know, like the, the example of not having Sarah right after Colin is a perfect example of that. I want her to feel that she stands as an individual, sure. not as a tack on to someone else. And that's, of all of the things I have to do with that show, that's probably been the most difficult. Yeah, I imagine that the, that's something you have to constantly manage. That's got to be difficult. Plus, considering that, for better or for worse, you have a lot of reasonably famous and or influential friends um, that all happen to either know each other or have been involved in projects together or have been involved in relationships together at some point in their past, that navigating that becomes delicate for lack of a better word. Yeah, you know, I haven't had to go through like, oh, this person used to be in a band with this person, but now they're not talking. Like, I haven't had to navigate that, but it will happen. Um, yeah, sure. But the, 
it's like I've always said about uh, the way that I treat the guests over there. Um, you know, like I don't argue with them because they have a right to express whatever they want to express. I'm not there to win something, but it's also about thinking about those kind of things too. And when I share things, making sure that, you know, that they sound their best, you know, always, always doing whatever I can, like they're coming into my home and I'm being a good host. Sure. Whereas here, it's like you and I live in a frat room and we can do whatever the fuck we want. <laughs> we have bunk beds, man. A frat room? What the fuck is a frat yeah, what room? What the fuck is a frat room? I was thinking, I was thinking a room in a frat room. Trying to figure out what the hell you were talking about. Frat room. You know, a frat room. <laughs> That's where the frats live. Now, I, I always see whenever we're doing the show, you know what? The way I, I visually uh, imagine the show is that you're on the top bunk and I'm on the bottom bunk and we're about to go to sleep at summer camp and we're just talking. That's so funny because that was when I had my freshman, when I was in my freshman year of college, my roommate, I was on top bunk and he was on the bottom bunk and we used to talk Uh, all the time. (laughs) Oh my God. See, exactly. Exactly. So uh, go find a bunk bed people and have a good, that's it. You know, you know, talking about real conversations, but yeah, those kind of conversations, that's the kind of shit we're all missing. Every single one of us. Yeah. And you don't realize how much you, you're missing it until you have one and you realize how long it's been since you had one. Yeah. And it fills you up. It really does. Um, you know what? I, I'm, I'm going to experiment with something this week since we've been giving each other like challenges or something. Um, <laughs> I think that's an interesting thing. Maybe maybe we can make that something we do every time is, you know, we, we like to challenge the audience to something, but each of us walk out with, I'm going to do this this week. And I'm going to do this this week. Um, and then we can bring that back because I, I like that. I like that continuity. It feels nice for me. How do you feel about that? I like that too. I have a challenge for myself. Um, That's, I think we should challenge ourselves most of the time. Okay. Got it. All right. Go. What do you got? No, no. You start. Uh, I'm gonna I always start. I'm a mouthy motherfucker. This is going to be a brutal one for me. I don't, I'm not even sure how I'm going to pull this off, but I'm feeling it in the moment. So I'm just going to fucking say it. And if, if that means that I have to do it, then that means I have to do it. I'm going to delete all email apps off my phone. Wow. I'm going to die this week. Oh, shit. Okay. Um, hold on. Let's, let's dig into this a little bit. Um, number one, tell us why. And then... Uh, um, and what, what is that going to actually mean when you say, I'm going to die? Like, really, let, let people understand. I understand because I can, I'm literally looking at the image of your, of your home screen right now while we're talking. So I understand what that means. Well, the sheer number of emails I receive on a daily basis from four individual sources um, is staggering. Like my work one alone, for example, I receive between 20 to 30 emails, um, 10, at least 10 of which require a response within a few hours, some of which require a response even sooner than that. And that's just one out of four. Um, and I constantly, you, you know what it feels like? I feel like, I feel like I'm constantly on fire. I feel like someone's constantly poking me with a hot prod. And so every time I see a notification pop up on my phone, I feel I feel the sting of that, and I'm sick and tired of that feeling. I get it. I get it a hundred times a day. So and, how, how and are you going to navigate without those on your phone? I'm. What I'm going to do is I'm going to. I, I I've been talking about doing this for a year, and I'm just going to do it. I need to train everyone in my life that I communicate via email at certain times of the day, and if they need to reach me, then they need to do it at a certain time. What I think that will ultimately produce is that people won't 
email me just because it's convenient and they happen to be in front of a computer. They right. will bundle their thoughts together and they will send me shit in such a way that I can actually, that's, that's actually useful for both parties. Not, can you imagine like if someone sent you a PowerPoint presentation with eight bullet points on it, but they send you each bullet point individually? That's like what I get people, every day. Instead of writing like one paragraph in text messages, they send you one sentence at a time. Yeah, I'm done with that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to send out that email at the beginning of next week. So I'm going to do that on Monday because I don't want to do it on a Friday. And I'm going to tell everybody, okay, guys, um, from now on, um, I'm going to be checking my email. I think at first I'm going to do it at three different times throughout the right. day. That's probably um, the way to be- start. Yeah, just because I don't want to panic people. So I'll probably say, you know, 10 a.m., um, 1 p.m., and 4 p.m. And then I'm probably I'm going to try to reduce it down to one within a couple of months. Yeah, what what I would suggest since I've done this before is number one, tell them why you're doing it so that they can sure. buy oh, it. Oh yeah, on of it. course. Yeah, so, of you course. know, like uh, I'm feeling um, I'm feeling anxiety um, that I don't need to, and I'm feeling less productive because sure. I'm continually dipping into the app instead of doing what I'm doing. So sure. you know, tell them I want to be able to focus when I go into email, focus on giving all the answers I need to give, and then making sure it's all done. It's too easy to miss things when I dip in and out of my email app. That's a yep. really good reason that people buy in on. Sure. Knowing that you're doing it because you care about what they're sending you. Yeah. So so that's... A, I mean, I feel like people... It, it's going to be a rough adjustment period for most people. The other thing you want to do too, probably, is make sure that you unsubscribe from any shit that you keep getting that you put off unsubscribing from. Mm, sure. You know, there's all those things that we sign up for that seem like a good idea, but then after like 30 times that we received it and don't read it, we probably should unsubscribe, but we don't. Yeah. So I, I think I think what I will spend the weekend doing is maintenance. So I'm going to go through all four of those accounts and make sure I unsubscribe essentially to everything that I don't need. Yep. Um, and then on Monday, I'm going to put out the email, man. I'm going to check my email three times a day. I'm only going to, I will not do it on my phone anymore. I just won't do it. Good. I, I will do it on my iPad or my laptop and call it a day. That's it. It, I'm done. it is literally the worst place. And when you actually think about how strange of a concept it is to get email on your phone, you know, we've been trained that it's not weird, that that's normal, but it's weird. It's strange. It's not, it doesn't make sense. You know, this is a place where you're, you know, an email is an email because it's not a text message, right? A text message is supposed to be, uh, you know, you just shot off something real quick, right? Sure. An email is supposed to be longer, but yet we're uh, we're just using it on this little phone. You know, you know what my goal is. My goal is to make using my phone a pleasant experience. I'll tell you what. You know what makes it a pleasant experience when you barely ever use it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, that, and and I think that that's like whenever I want I want to have a sense of like fascination and wonder when I pull out my phone. Like if it's to play that game that you recommended or to to read a certain book or to listen to a certain podcast. That's all I want to do on it, man. I don't want to I don't want things that tether me to a world um that I I I don't want to be tethered to all the time. Right. I agree. Um and my thing for this week that I'm gonna try, which could be death to everything that I create, but I'm gonna try it because it feels right. <laughs> I am going to literally take my social media for the podcast um, down to where I only, the only things I post are the links to the new episodes and then anything that I publish on the website. No more links to anything else. 
Interesting. So what I've been doing for people who don't know is, uh, you know, if I find an interesting article, it goes to social media. Um, and it mixes in with all the stuff, the other stuff that I produce. And instead, on Sundays, you know, I have this newsletter that goes out. Um, I think it's like five times a week right now. And there's something different every day of the week. Um, on Sundays, what goes out is the link roundup, which would be all of the stuff that I've posted on social media collected into one email with... And it's actually better than getting on social media because I give an explanation of why I liked each of these things. I'm just going to only do it in that. And those go on the website too. So I can just link to that on social media on Sunday and be like, here's all the links that you could find from me from the week, except sure. all at once. Because why not? Well, you know what? Uh, the, the, I, I think the, the, we've talked about this before too, just the absence of choice, man. Yeah. Everyone's Absolutely. happier. <laughs> and the challenge to the audience for me, I think my challenge to the audience is find something that you've been avoiding, whether it is having a difficult conversation, deleting email apps off your phone, cutting social media out or back and tackle it. Just one thing. And uh, go over to holyfoolproductions.com and check out our stuff there. Go over to vacantroom.com. Give Lamb some love. You're going to post your... What were you going to post? I'm going to post my uh, chicken squirreled reactions to uh, my panic about social media. There you go. Okay, babies. We love you. And see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.